are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. This is Monday night, February the 26th, and we're ready to do our Atlanta NASCAR race review and hot topic sound off at 10 o'clock tonight here on Fan for Racing Radio. That's 10 o'clock Eastern time. Joining me for tonight's show is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. I know normally when we start the show, I get excited and tell people to come back and make sure they can tune in to hot topics. You know, I don't want to wait that long. Tonight, I'm like, just wait till the end of the show when we review the Cup Series race. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's going to be exciting. Uh, We have a lot to talk about here tonight. And we're going to start with some short track news that's going on in the short track and dirt racing world. After that, we'll get into a few updates from the Arca Menards, the Arca East, and the Arca West series. There's not a whole lot that has changed there. So I'm going to change up the schedule a little bit. I've got some audio, Jay. Um, it's about a 10-minute interview with Jesse Love after he won the pole this weekend in the Xfinity Series. Two poles in a row um, for the rookie. <laughs> so that's pretty cool to see that happening. And I thought uh, maybe we could get that in. And then after that, we're going to listen uh, to the post-race interview from Kyle Bush after he won the Truck Series race on uh, Saturday, and uh, that's going to be a kind of a short interview. It's only a little more than four minutes. Uh, He drove the number seven Spire Motorsports uh, car this weekend and won the race. Um, You and I will talk about both of those interviews after we hear them, and then after that, we're going to review the NASCAR Truck Series, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and that uh, really exciting NASCAR Cup Series race out at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And, and as I mentioned earlier, 10 o'clock, that topic sound off here on Fan for Racing Radio, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. All right, Jay, uh, let's go ahead and get started with the short track news. Uh, we've got a few things that we can talk about here uh, in that world, actually, we're going to start more. I think with um, more with um, what do I want to say? Dirt racing. Well, you know me; I'm all about that. And we got some high limit racing action going on down south in here in the uh, southern states, as we have the decent weather to start anyway. So covering yeah. the high limit racing. Tyler Courtney was dominant in an early season showdown coming at Golden Isle Speedway over in Georgia. You can find that coverage on HighLimitRacing.com. Yeah, and you know, we talked about those races at Golden Isle Speedway on Thursday. Uh, Jacob Allen actually won the following night. He netted $20,000. That was a big night for him. Uh, at that high limit racing at Golden Isle Speedway. Was indeed. When we go, talk about USAC, there you go to USAC Media, find Matt Mitchell as he struck in the USAC CRA Sprint Car Opener at Paris Auto Speedway. And then moving over to the Lucas Oil uh, Late Model Dirt Series, uh, Friday's portion of the Deuces Wild Weekend out at Golden Isle Speedway 
unfortunately was rained out. Uh, so that was kind of a disappointment, but uh, I think you'll like this next one, Jay. I do, I do, and I saw the timing of it that I got to talk about it, so that worked out on LucasDirt.com, the final or weekend finale. Mike Marler, the Winfield Warrior, picked up a victory, so I always like to see that, and I haven't got to talk to him in a while. I know he's been on the show here a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see if we can come back. Um, also, we're going to move over to short tracks now. Uh, anybody who's a fan for racing radio listener knows that we've had Derek Thorne on the show several times. Uh, he's going to be racing in the Cars Tour West. That's something new this year. Uh, and so he said he's going to race the whole series. And he's got a new sponsor on board. The El Bandito Yankee Tequila will be on board his car. So uh, that's pretty cool. Matt Weaver writes about it over at Short Track Scene. Well, I'm sticking with the Cars Tour. This is from the east, if you will, the east side of it. But uh, Carson Cavapel is going to join the Xfinity Series on in April in the, for Junior Motorsports at Hickory Motor Speedway. And that's a name we're going to start seeing more and more. Well, actually, it's Mason Diaz that's going to join Junior Motorsports in that April Cars Tour race at Hickory Motor Speedway. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty cool to see that happening. I, I um, uh, You're right. I'm sorry. I split that up. It's Carson Cavazzo. Carson Cavazzo will be in the Xfinity Series race that weekend for Junior Motorsports. And then, yeah, as well as Mason Diaz in the uh, Cars Tour. Sorry about that. Yeah, at Hickory Motor Speedway. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's pretty cool to see both of those drivers on the track. Uh, we know they're both good racers, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do uh, in those races. Matt Weaver writes about all of that over at Short Track Scene. Uh, there's some news that came out today, too, that I thought was pretty cool, and I thought maybe we'd mention it here on the show tonight, uh, concerning Math TV and the ASA Stars National Tour event. Yeah. And this is one we've talked about the different platforms that cover racing, and MAV-TV has really been stepping up as they're going to now broadcast the ASA Stars National Tours events. So fans of the ASA Stars National Tour will be able to watch all 10 series events on MAV-TV in 2024. It's the second year the series will air on MAV-TV as part of the Monday Night All-American Racing Program block, and that's going to continue for another year. And actually, that all starts tonight, beginning with the series opening event out at uh, New Smyrna Speedway. They have the Clyde Hart Memorial 200, uh, and that's co-sanctioned with the ASA Southern Super Series. Now, last year, Bubba Pollard won that race. We'll have to wait and see who's going to win it tonight. Speaking to somebody who'd like to get on the uh, show, Bubba Pollard is a great interview. We'll have to see if we can reach out to him. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm looking through there, uh, and I don't know where this article came from to direct to, uh, to it, but um, hitting some highlights of it. Again, it's a part of a 10-race um, 
series and some other notable events in the agreement, because there's several that are involved in all this agreement. Uh, let's see if I can read through there. Oh, you mentioned it being with the co-sanction with the ASA Southern Super Series. You also got Racing America, Track Enterprises, um, come to an agreement on the ASA, ASA branded tour and regional events. Some notables from that will be uh, the Deep South Crane Blizzard Series at Five Flags Speedway. And that'll begin with round two on April 26th. The entirety of the, C- entirety of the CRA's Five Crown Championship for CRA Street Stocks. The North-South Super Late Model Challenge at Nashville Fairground Speedway. That'll be on July 13th. And then the Friday and Saturday portions of the Winchester 400 weekend from Winchester Speedway. Yeah, this is with Racing America TV. So uh, you can watch a lot of these races. uh, They're going to broadcast the standalone races for ASA CRA Super Series, the ASA Southern Super Series, as well as racing from Nashville Fairground Speedway in 2024. Uh, The only exception is going to be the All-American 400 and uh, it will be available for all Racing America TV subscribers. So uh, the All-American 400, which this year will be again with the ASA Stars National Tour Championship race. Uh, so that's why it's uh, not going to be uh, part of the broadcast. These are delayed broadcasts, too, by the way, that are going to be put up. Uh, it, but it's going to add about 50 broadcasts that are going to be available over at Racing America TV uh, for subscribers in the 2024 season. So that's pretty cool that they did this uh, and that fans can watch those races. I think it's fantastic. That is, because, I mean, you're talking about 50 races. You may not get to see it otherwise if you're not in that area and get to go to the track, which if you have that opportunity, I highly recommend but to be able to bring that many additional to what they already have, that's a, adding to what they have in the past, um, that is just awesome for the race fan. It really is. you want to cover the next uh, highlight here? All right. We've got iRacing is going to add a Oswego Speedway in what they call a future build. iRacing and Oswego Speedway are pleased to reveal that the New York-based Oval will be added to the iRacing in a build later in 2024. The historic .625-mile oval will become the latest track to join the iRacing platform with both paved and dirt variants coming to the world's premier motorsport simulator as part of this release. Yeah, I know that's iRacing. Uh, I've got a couple here that we don't normally cover, but I thought... Uh, for those people who are into the iRacing, that's something that I think they really enjoy uh, knowing. And, uh, you know, as I see stories like that, I do get uh, press releases from iRacing. So as we see stories like this that we think might be of interest, uh, we'll make sure we mention them here. And then, um, uh, yeah, I think that's all we have here. Uh, so we'll go to our websites, I guess, uh, beginning with uh, Race Amer- Racing America. And uh, is there anything new that you see over there, Jay, that we want to mention? Well, I know it talked about one of the articles I saw earlier was talking about the, obviously there's a lot of coverage from the uh, NASCAR Cup race on here, but the history of the 
Alabama 200. Um, so that's yeah. a good read there. You look at some of the storylines, affiliations, historical moments, and, and some of the drivers. Uh, when you go back and look at these history uh, pieces, that you don't realize some of the drivers that came through these races or still go back and compete in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, that race, uh, the Alabama 200 at Montgomery Motor Speedway, is also mentioned as two big races that are taking place this weekend on Racing America TV. The other one is the Children's Dream Fund 50 at Citrus County Speedway, and that's going to be on Saturday. Uh, and, again, you can watch it with that Racing America TV subscription. And if you want to kind of catch up with what's going on in those uh, both of those races, uh, there's a feature about it over at uh, Racing America. Uh, as, as Jay said, one of the most, most historic racing events in the southeast is the 60th uh, Alabama 200 at Montgomery Motor Speedway this weekend. <clears throat> well, and one of them, just to throw one of the names out there, that Casey Roderick, a two-time winner, is one of the 27 um, entries they have right, right now. He won it in 2017 and 18. This will be his first appearance in the event since 2019. Yes, indeed. Now, fans can tune in at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern on Saturday for that Alabama 200. So uh, over at Racing America TV. Uh, so that's going to be an exciting race to run. And then also the Children's Stream from 50 out at Citrus County Speedway. More than 30 drivers will be part of this big sprint car event. Um, and fans will be able to watch it on Racing America TV during the 2024 season. Uh, grandstands open at 4.30 for the fans in Florida that are going to be out there watching the race. And for those watching on Racing America, the racing begins at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, you can you don't have to go to Florida to watch it. You can watch it on Racing America TV. So, so you're saying I can watch it while I'm announcing at Jackson Motor Speedway this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a possibility. <laughs> uh, there's also a very stout field of drivers that are headed for that race. Uh, I think there's an entry list here. Yes, there's an entry list of the drivers that are going to be there. And you mentioned Casey Roderick's on that list. Um I'm looking to see some of the other names. Part of the top part of the article for Ronnie Sanders, you're going to see uh, Florida's Jake Finch. Uh, he was a winner in the Arkham oh, yeah. Yard Series East competition, so he's one to, to keep your eye on during that race. Yes, indeed, all of those drivers. I guess because it's on Saturday, it's hard to get some of the uh, NASCAR drivers to take part in that. Uh, but there are some big names when it comes to uh, uh, racing on on the short tracks and racing at Alabama for, for that Alabama 200. So you'll want to check it out. Okay, we're going to move on now to um, – the Arca Menard series. They um, 
are not racing this week, but I want to make sure everybody knows when those races are taking place. And I think, let's go ahead and look here. Yes, the next race, actually they'll be racing not at Las Vegas this weekend, but they'll be racing at Phoenix the following weekend, March the 8th out of Phoenix Raceway. And I believe the Arkham Art Series West will have their season opener in that same event. So it's one of those combination events with the Arkham and Art Series as well as the Arca West. So that's on March the 8th. And let me see if they've got some race info up on that yet. Uh, it'll be at the One Mile Paved Oval, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, they'll be racing 150 laps. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So if you want to watch it, mark your calendars for this one. Uh, It's also available on the Fox Sports app and MRN radio. So uh, that's going to be a big big race. That's the second race for the Arkham Menard Series and the first race for the Arkham Menard Series West. And that's one you're going to want to watch for that entry list when it comes out. You mentioned it being the Arkham Menard Series as well as a joint event with the Arkham Menard West Series as their series opener. And you also have the Cup Series and Xfinity Series out there um, for their uh, separate races. Occasionally see some of that crossover. So it'll be interesting to see that entry list when it comes out. Yeah, some of the drivers will uh, maybe take part in that race. from the uh, Xfinity or the Cup Series, so we'll have to watch and see when, like you said, when that uh, entry list comes out. Now, for the Arkham Art Series East, uh, their first race is the Pensacola 150 out at Five Flags Speedway, but that race isn't going to take place until March 23rd, so we've got a little bit of time for that one. Um, that's a half-mile paved oval in Pensacola, and we know there's going to, it's going to be live-streamed over at Flow Racing. We know it's going to have radio coverage over at ArcaRacing.com, uh, but we don't have all the details just yet. But as we get closer, that's going to be a fun one to keep your eye on as well. And I know it starts with the same sound, but not the same letter, but Five Flags Speedway is a phenomenal facility. I'll testify to that. I know, Sharon, uh, you've seen it. I, I don't, have you been down there personally? I have not been down there. I know uh, Sal has been there several times now. He usually goes for the uh, snowball derby that they do in December. So he really loves it. It It is. It is just a tremendous facility. I got the one, and that's where I got to meet Sal uh, a few years back when I went down there for the snowball derby as well. And I had been there once before back in, that was the 90s, late 90s, when I was stationed at Eglin at Air Force Base in uh, Fort Walton Beach. So it was just a 30-minute drive over there. So that was, uh, again, I was a dirt track guy, but that was my first real taste of asphalt other than Elko Speedway in Minnesota. Right. Did Sal tell you that I call him uh, Jay all the time? Yeah, and that didn't surprise me. I think I think we've all shared that of who we are at at different times. <laughs> yeah, I had a hard time when Mike was on. I was calling him every name but Mike. Okay, <laughs> we're going to take a 
we're going to take um, uh, just a minute here. It's actually a nine-minute and ten-second uh, audio segment with the Xfinity Series poll winner, Jesse Love. He's won two in a row, drives the number two for Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet, and he comes from the Arkham Menard Series. He's an Arkham Menard Series champion, and we're going to hear what he had to say after winning that poll, and then Jay and I will comment afterwards. For Richard Childress Racing and Jesse, we had this announcement a little bit earlier before you came in um, the room here, but you become the first driver in the NASCAR Xfinity Series history to win consecutive polls in their first two starts in the series. So congratulations. Thank you. You can go for three next week um, in Vegas. But um, tell us a little bit about that run and um, what you're looking forward to this weekend. Yeah, obviously it's really cool. I'd say to to I think you know we've broken more two records now. So um, I, you know these qualifying these speedways, there's a little bit the driver can do. But the biggest thing is it just speaks volumes how good our team is. Um, everybody knows how good Danny Stockman is, and our car seat bug and they all put together really well. And our road crew is is just phenomenal. So it's just a pleasure to drive those race cars, and uh, you know to get wheel and engineering in the spotlight really early is awesome. So. My goal is to hopefully get locked in the playoffs in the first, you know, five or ten races, and obviously another good shot tomorrow night. So uh, I think I learned a little bit of a lesson at Daytona of with how fast our car is. Um, you know, I can probably take my time a little bit more than than other guys and, and still get to the front pretty quickly. So um, I'm going to implement that tomorrow night. Hopefully, win the first stage and and uh, and get some some more playoff points and points in general. Um, but after that, just kind of take my time and methodically get to the front. I feel like last week I was just a rabbit dog trying to get back to the front. So um, our cars are really leading, and that's probably why. Uh, but they handle really well, too. So, yeah, it's awesome, and we have another good shot at tomorrow night. All right. We'll go ahead and go for questions. If you have a question, raise your hand. Or to get a mic to you, we'll start in the back with Doug. Hey, thank you, Jesse. Doug Turnbull for WSB in Atlanta and from PRN. Uh, you, you talked about trying to fight through traffic after winning the first stage at Daytona last week and winning the pole. I know these tracks are different, but they have same similar characteristics, and, of course, you're brand new to the series. So what, what did you learn about what the cars can take and can't take, especially in the pack, with how twitchy as they seem to be, at least to us watching on TV? Yeah, they can't take a, a monster push when you're stacked up like it was last week. But um, I'd say this week, you know they're they're definitely more on edge, but the pack's also a little bit less less tight than it is at at uh, Daytona and Talladega. So where you kind of lose something in the fact that you're just more on edge here, um, you kind of gain back in the fact where the the pack's a little bit more spread out and the gaps aren't quite as tight. So um, at least that's just from what I've seen. I could be completely wrong tomorrow night, but uh, but no, I, I'd say my car. Particularly with how fast as it is, normally you kind of lose some handling with that with that speed being that trimmed out. And for whatever reason, it, it, it drove really good at Daytona, and I was able to move around. And I think that was kind of why I made really aggressive moves early was because I know, you know how much grip I have and how much stability I have. So tomorrow I'm just going to try to err on the side of caution until it's, you know, crunch time. Uh, at the same time, I know I have to be aggressive, you know, kind of set a precedent early of, of how I'm going to race. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have a lot of Chevrolets up front, a little bit less this week than we did last week, and that definitely makes things a little more, you know, carefree for, in a sense. But, but yeah, our cars are, are really good, and 
probably me and Austin can kind of just get out front and, and set the pace. And I feel like when we have, you know, two RCR cars out front that we can kind of hopefully sync up the show for the first, you know, 40 laps or however many the first stages. I think it's 60. All right, additional questions? Chris, do you have a question? Congrats, Jesse. Uh, you've been in Atlanta before, so what do you expect for tomorrow, and how are you preparing for it? Have you talked to Austin, or you know, how have you been preparing for this weekend? Yeah, good thing. Um, I'd say I've done a lot of prep. Um, I try to overthink things. Uh, when Jesse thinks it's not normally a good thing, so I try to just kind of go by the seat of my my pants, kind of have that uh, that sprint car mindset, really. And even in the pavement world, I think helps me execute better and, and make good decisions, but. At the same time, um, you know, Austin has been the best teammate that I've ever had to work with so far. Um, and with that, you know, he answers a lot of questions that I now know the answer to that I wouldn't, you know, I'd have to go learn that on the racetrack. So I still have a really good uh, mindset going in tomorrow. It's a little bit more pulled back than I was at Daytona where I was just going to go try to lead every lap. Um, I think this time – just, again, knowing how fast RCR guys build their car, that I can take my time a little bit more. So I know that, you know, how this place races just by watching it. I'm not going to know how it's going to feel until tomorrow in the pack. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think our cars are, are going to be good enough to where I can kind of move around and, and make some decisions. I need to go, you know, make some ground up. But uh, for that first day, just about, you know, kind of keeping track position and, um, hopefully, you know, we have a good bit of Chevys up front to where we can all kind of, you know, just, I guess, play nice, right? Um, you know, at the end of stage two or stage one, uh, racing with Austin at Daytona, I learned a lot um, of just, you know, how to manage my run and my side drafting and things like that. And everything at Daytona, you got to be more aggressive with here because uh, the lines move quicker and runs come quicker and there's more off-throttle time, right? So. At the same time, it, it is be a little bit more, you know, cooler out tomorrow than, than I kind of anticipated. So I think the pack's going to be a little bit tighter, and you're going to see, like, the bottom work a little bit less uh, than it would if it was hot, just because you can't really squirt through the middle or the bottom on guys that are better wide open when their car's handling really well. But, um, yeah, tomorrow, just hopefully win the first stage, and then I'll lose my track position, obviously, by guys short-paying the stage. And then after that, I'll probably take my time and, and learn for a while and then uh, be aggressive when I know what I got. And then uh, your buddy Daniel Dye won his first series poll earlier in the day. You had us chuckling here by calling him Dan, uh, Danny Dimes. So is that a name that you gave, uh, gave him or can you give us funny. a story? We got a little group chat going. Um, it's called OG for some reason. I have no idea why. Um, but, yeah, it's like me, Daniel, uh, Jonathan, Josh Jones, his son, Jonathan, Brett Cruz, and Connor Zilich, and, and I was I was so pumped for Daniel. He he deserves it. He's working really hard this year, um, and he wants it really bad. He's such a good kid and uh, one of my closer friends. So uh, to see his hard work paying off is, is really awesome. And hopefully tomorrow night he can he can keep his Chevrolet out front. No, sorry. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the whole point of the question. I forgot to answer. Um, so he just all of a sudden uh, just called himself Danny Dimes. And I said, okay, but it's self-proclaimed nickname. I'll go along with it, but. Uh, but you know, we got a few golfing nicknames I give him, and uh, he loves poker, so I got him some poker nicknames, called him the fish sometimes and things like that, but he wouldn't like if I said that. But um, but no, congrats to him. Uh, hopefully the uh, cup cars are going to have their Chevy 1, 2, 3 again, um, and that'd be great. Okay, let's go ahead and end it there. Uh, boy, there's a lot to unpack in there. He always gives a good interview. 
Well, I know we're going to talk about that. That interview was from between when he won the poll and the race, and we're going to talk about what happened in the race. So I don't want to get too yeah. in-depth in that yet. But a couple things I want to take away from that. Of One, he talked about setting records already for the Arkham Menard Series Championship, which he won last year. Won 10 out of the 20 races, half of the races, finished in the top 10 in 18 of those 20 races. <laughs> so that's nothing new to him. Uh-huh. And the, the, one, the big thing I took from just him talking, how much he is already learning about himself, about how to race, about the tracks, about how it was going to be affected by the temperature. What he is absorbing and taking in was so impressive. And the last thing I just want to throw in comes from Dave Moody. He made a comment earlier this week. If you want to say you knew Jesse Love before he was a big superstar, you better get to know him right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, we've had Jesse on the show, and we've been impressed with him from the very beginning. We started following him when he was 15, and uh, he was racing in the Arca West, I think, at that time, and uh, a few select races here in the East. Jesse is going to be one of those phenomenal drivers. I was impressed, too, with how much uh, they've already bonded at RCR, uh, how he's bonding with his teammate, Austin Hill. Of all people you want to learn from when it comes to super speedway racing or any kind of racing, it's Austin Hill. So Jesse Love, I think, uh, in addition to having just superior um, talent, I think he really hit the jackpot when he got uh, Austin Hill as a teammate as well and that they are working so well together. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I can't wait to see what he does for the rest of the year. I think he is going to turn some heads, and people are are just going to be amazed at what this kid can do. The only the only other thing I'd throw in there is uh, prior to being with the RCR in his ARCA series, he was with Joe Gibbs Racing. You're talking about being mm-hmm. with two of the top premier uh, organizations. I know RCR hasn't been as dominant as they have been in the past, but they are still a top organization. So to be with those two organizations already in his career, that tells you something about his talent and who's seeing the talent in him. Yeah, he drove for Venturini in the Arkham and Art Series, so, but they are certainly Toyota affiliated. Uh, it, it really... Uh, it really amazes me how well this kid did. And you gave some amazing stats there at the very beginning of this. And uh, uh, I I really, you know, I told my granddaughter, I think she was 15 at the time, and I was telling her about Jesse Love. And her first question right away was, does he have a girlfriend? Um, (laughs) All the girls like Jesse Love, let me tell you. Okay, it is kind of funny. Um, Also, we've got up on uh, our uh, schedule here today, Jesse Love was not scheduled, but I wanted to go ahead and do that. Since he's a former Arkham Menard Series champion, I thought it would be a good transition. Since we don't have a lot of Arkham news to share uh, right now to listen to Jesse Love's interview. But the next interview we're going to listen to, we're going from the rookie to the veteran because uh, Kyle Busch has five races in the NASCAR Truck Series 
and the first one was this weekend out at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and he drove the number seven Spire Motor Sports Chevrolet. Well, who do you think Spire bought their equipment from? Kyle Busch Motorsports. So, so I think it was really cool to see him driving that car this weekend. And I noticed they waited till uh, to kind of make the announcement that it was that it was going to be Kyle Busch in that truck. Um, but he's got a short interview here. Uh, I'd like to take a listen to it with everybody, and then Jay and I'll comment afterwards uh, on his uh, post-race interview after winning in the Cat Craftsman Truck Series on Saturday. Now, been joined by our race winner in today's NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race, Kyle Busch, driver of the number seven, Chevrolet for Spire Motorsports. Um, congratulations on that win. You came, came there or came on there at the end. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts about that race um, and, and have an opportunity to go to Victory Lane with Spire Motorsports. Yeah, there was definitely some moments there of uh, some tense action, especially there with a couple to go and, the, the nine truck having a flat and me hitting him and me getting hit and turning sideways, both of us, and somehow hanging on and being able to make it out of that corner uh, straight and onto the finish, you know. So um, just had a pretty good truck, a really fast truck, felt good about it. Um, our Chevrolet was fast and made some, was able to make some good moves. We got in line with a couple of our other Spire teammates and, uh, and our Alliance team and to be able to work our way on the bottom lane. It seemed like we were kind of only only the one to, to do that. Um, but we tried it again later in the race, just couldn't get it done. So um, all in all, you know, proud of everybody to, to, at the shop to build fast trucks and to come out here and score another win. Uh, Atlanta, you know, won here tons of times with Billy Blue and KBM and, and now Spire. So feels pretty cool. All right. We'll go ahead for questions. We're going to start with Reed. Reed Spencer with NASCAR Wire. When you got the lead from the nine, uh, were you pretty confident being out front there with the trucks behind you, or were you worried that they might gang up on you? I was definitely worried they were going to gang up. Um, you know, you, you just never know, but um, Majeski ended up being a, a pretty good uh, wingman back there, if, if you will. I'm, I'm sure he was trying to build runs and, and make moves and stuff like that, but he wasn't going out of his way to be crazy or do anything, um, you know, that, that was going to cause chaos, I guess. But overall – you're always worried about that. Um, there was a couple times, I think it was, we got by the nine and three and four, and then we went down the back, and I got a big push from behind, and everything was all really accordioned up tight. And I thought they were going to make a move into three right there, and they didn't. And then we all kind of started to progressively just spread out over the last couple laps a little bit. And uh, never felt them get back to my bumper, but they were always close. Kyle, you've won at Atlanta a couple times already, and a lot of other champions and, and great drivers have won at this track. What do you think is about this track, especially now with, you know, the recent reconfigurations that have, you know, yielded such, you know, strong winners, especially you coming to the truck series and getting a win today? Yeah, I mean, Atlanta's um, one of the, one of, if not the fastest racetrack on the circuit, you know, unrestricted. Um, it's definitely gotten that notoriety since 1997, um, you know, the, the, the pole of, of Jeff Bodine. So, um, you know, it's sometimes when you run around here, I remember the early 2000s, mid 2000s when we were qualifying here at night and, and just the, the roar of the engine and the speed that you were carrying, this place is pretty intimidating. So, um, great, great fun place to race. Um, I'll still say I enjoy the old surface more, um, but we got what we got here now and, um, hopefully the fans enjoyed a good show. All right. Any additional questions for Kyle? 
All right, everyone take it easy. Oh, we got one more. Okay, we'll close that with a question there in the back. Yeah, Alfred Romero, Southern Racing Radio. Uh, let me ask you, when you're not having to race on a Sunday, it's like today, you don't have the pressures of, you know, racing out there on a Sunday when it's the Cup Series. Do you feel a bit more relaxed as your attitude and your the way you drive when you're just doing a truck race? Is, is it different than when you're getting ready for a Sunday race? No, because, um, you know, when I lose a truck race, I'm probably more mad that I lost a truck race because I'm supposed to win the truck race. So, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely – I don't necessarily take this as a vacation day still going to work. You know what I mean? It's um, put, the, put forth the effort. You're out there trying to do a job, and you want to solidify that by winning and going to victory lane. So um, got a great group behind me that allowed me to do that and um, gave me this chance. So it was a, a fun day today. All right. Congratulations again, Kyle. We'll see the best of luck tomorrow. Now, Okay. almost played it again. Um so I thought he gave a pretty decent interview there. I liked what he had to say about uh, uh, Ty Majeski and the clean race that he ran. It was. The interesting thing that I took from it, and I, you you hit on it um, prior to listening to the interview, and I had heard some other stuff. This was not Kyle's choice for one of his five races. Uh, this apparently coming from the team, sponsor, whatever made it come to come to fruition. And you heard Kyle say he still preferred the older uh, configuration. Mm -hmm. So it was a little surprising. And even there, you heard it at the very end of, you know, he said, yeah, we, we um, I prefer the old configuration, but this is what we got. Come out there and win anyway. Um, that maybe he's not a fan of it, at least in the truck series of that high speed uh, mile and a half um, super speedway as it is now. Because I know in the entry list, and I know you, we knew it because uh, Mike tried to take my pick with it, um, that they didn't have him <laughs> listed as the driver um, even right. up until uh, just before the race. So there was that kind of odd dynamic, but that also shows you what kind of professional Kyle is. And coming into what was KBM Motorsports, now Spire Motorsports, I don't know how much has changed as far as from when they took it over. I know they still took the equipment and stuff from KBM. So it's kind of the same, but I'm sure they've put their own spin and organization into it. And they said, uh -huh. I think it was 15 years, he mentioned Billy Blue. It's been 15 years since he's driven in the truck series for somebody other than himself and his own equipment. Uh, like I said, I know this is probably still really close to what his equipment was, as it's only been one year for, since, the, uh, since they bought it, but... Technically speaking, yeah, this was not his team, and it's been 15 years since he drove for somebody else in the truck series. Yeah, it's just amazing. Al Bush uh, is a wheelman, and he survived it a lot in order to win that race on Saturday. Um, but I thought it was interesting to watch him race uh, in that number seven Spiral Motorsports uh, car. And you're right. He was kind of uh, pushed into it. He, he said he liked that older configuration at Atlanta Motor Speedway versus the new configuration. Uh, but it didn't stop him from going out and winning the race. So um, he, he is definitely going to go down in the record books on a lot of counts. Oh, for what this uh, man has been able to accomplish throughout his career. And uh, if he quit tomorrow, he would still be 
have amazing stats. Uh, but I don't think Kyle Bush is thinking about quitting anytime soon. I think we've got a long way to go uh, with Kyle Bush, and I think he's he's really enjoying what he's doing. The other the other thing I picked up on, and, and I understand there's that line between confidence and cocky. He said something about you know you go to the Truck Series, you're supposed to win, and as mm-hmm. a Cup Series champion, I, I understand that attitude. But when you look at the Truck Series now, there are some tough competition there. And I looked uh, real quick. I know we're going to cover it here in a few minutes of the results. But he did not dominate and run away and thump him like he has in the past. So I think that sure. says something, too. And the, you, know, you mentioned Ty Majeski was right there on his tail. It was Tyler Ankrum who actually led the most laps um, by a few. So uh, I think there's a, he's got, he might have to rethink that. He can't just go down and, and beat some of these other teams like he used to because the competition level is getting a lot better. Yes, it is. And and uh, I was real proud of the Chuck series because after that race at Daytona, I know we were all kind of scratching our heads and saying, wow, uh, they did not look like professionals out there. But they did look like professionals out there uh, when they were racing out at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So I think they kind of regrouped and uh, were able to, put their best foot forward at that racetrack, uh, and that's fantastic. Even And I did love it when Kyle Busch is in the race. They get to learn from him. Well, that too, and I know we harp on that every time, but it is so true. If you ask these other drivers, they got no problem with it. Even when they get beat by him or finish second to him, they said being around him, watching what he's doing in front of them to beat them, that's part of that learning. We talked from the earlier interview, Jesse Love, what he's picking up from Austin Hill just by watching him here and how I'm talking to him. Mm-hmm. They are learning so much just by being on the track with them. That is the truth. Uh, and Kyle Busch is willing to talk to any driver. I thought about that, too, uh, with Daniel Suarez. Uh, how exciting. Well, we'll get to that. But that had to be very exciting for Daniel. Uh, to be in the three wide with his mentor, Kyle Bush at the finish line there. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I've done really good about not trying to jump that far ahead. Don't, don't taunt me into starting that. <laughs> I know. I caught myself mid-sentence, and then I thought, well, I better finish it off. But, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, um We'll go ahead and move on to the Truck Series race because I've got some stats here uh, regarding Kyle Busch uh, after his win there. Uh, Kyle Busch won the Freight 208 for his 65th victory in 171 Craftsman Truck Series races. That's the series' most wins all time. So we're not just whistling Dixie here. Uh, about uh, Kyle Busch, he is phenomenal in that truck series. Uh, Thank you for indulging me. I had to get a sip of water. Uh, This is his first victory and first top 10 finish of the season, his seventh victory and 11th top 10 finish in 14 (laughs) races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, just phenomenal what he's able to do. 
Time Majeski came in second. <clears throat> he posted his second top ten finish in four races at Atlanta. It was his first top ten finish this year. And Corey Hyman third posted his second top ten finish in three races and in Atlanta. Now, Lane Riggs is listed as 24th here. He was the highest finishing rookie. But he ended up in 33rd place uh, because his car was um, uh, penalized in the post-race inspection for uh, loose fasteners on the windshield. So we'll talk about it in Hot Topics, just a little bit of a teaser there with that. Uh, But Kyle Busch, let me get back to him. He extends his record of consecutive years with a victory in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series to 12 years from 2013 to 2024. That's four more than Dennis Setzer in second on the list with eight years from 1998 to 2005. This is Crew Chief Brian Patty's fourth career win in the Craftsman Truck Series, and this is Spire Motorsports' third win in the series. They won at Martinsville in 22, North Wilkesboro in 23, and Atlanta now in 2024. So uh, that's some really great stats there all the way around. Yeah, it was uh, Kyle Busch's seventh. Go ahead. I was going to say, while you were giving that, keep in mind over the past couple years that he is now limited to the the past several. It's been five. I know it was seven for a while. Getting only limited available starts. He has maximized those, a maximum of five this year as as he's doing again. But that's in limited starts as well. That's true. Okay, we mentioned Kyle Busch coming in in the first place. Uh, Then it was Ty Majeski, followed by Corey Heim. Behind them were Taylor Gray, Nick Sanchez, Caden Honeycutt uh, finished in sixth. Um, Tyler Ankrum led the race high 46 laps and finished seventh. He's one of the ones that we said to watch uh, on uh, Thursday, so he, he lived up to the hype there. Uh, Ty Majeski was also one of the drivers to watch. Uh, Raja Karuth was the pole sitter. I'm sorry, Raja Karuth. Uh, and then the pole sitter, Daniel Dye, and Dean Thompson closed out the top 10. Uh, the number 19 of Christian Eckes led 18 laps. He won stage one, but then he hit a brake issue that dropped him out of contention. So that was uh, a big disappointment for him. Uh, Kyle Busch, of course, won stage two and stage three. There were 20 lead changes among those seven drivers and seven cautions, 37 yellow flag laps. Um, So your thoughts about our top ten finishers, Jay? Well, there's not a whole lot more you can say about Kyle Busch. Uh, As I mentioned, he led 33 laps. It was Tyler Ankrum, and I'll come back to him, that led the most at 46. But the competition, you got Ty Majeski, Corey Heim, two regular championship contending teams, Taylor Gray and Nick Sanchez. Those are two I think you're going to see really come into their own this year. Nick Sanchez already having a victory and being Mm -hmm. uh, in the playoffs. Assuming we don't get more than, what is the truck series, 10 different winners, which could happen, but we'll have to wait and see. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. And, And then Another two that I view as ones up and coming that we may see really develop this year, 
You mentioned Raja Cruz and Daniel Dye. Um, one I skipped over, Caden Honeycutt, I want to see more of. Uh, I don't know if he's ready to have his breakout year yet. The one there you mentioned, though, you said you previewed it on Thursday, um, Tyler Ankrum led the most mm-hmm. laps at 46. We'll cover this when we get to the points. Is very much having that breakout year up to this point. I know we only got two races in. They've been super speedway races. We're going to start seeing come next week, Las Vegas, the cream rising to the top, and you're really going to see who's built for the season here starting next week. That is the truth. And Daniel Dye, of course, was mentioned by Jesse Love as one of his best friends. Uh, so I'm sure everybody was happy about that. Um, now, the margin of victory here was 0.8718 seconds uh, or a thousandth of a second. And uh, there were a few drivers. We mentioned Lane Riggs. We'll talk more about him later. Uh, he ended the race running, uh, but he's posted with a 33rd place finish because of the uh, uh, penalty. Uh, we mentioned Christian Eckes having the brake incident. Jack Wood was out on lap 57 due to an accident. Bailey Curry had damage, taking him out of the race on lap 96. And I think those are the only drivers that did not finish the race. Several drivers finished multiple laps down. Um, there were 19 drivers who finished all 135 laps. So uh, some interesting steps there, too. And I think this year the truck series is going to be real interesting. There were a lot of changes over the off season. Talked about K- KBM selling out to Spire Motorsports, their involvement in the truck series. GMS racing went away. And unfortunately we have to talk about him at the bottom. Uh, Grant Enfinger finished 25th, two laps off the pace, yeah, but he was another flat one. Tire led 23. What's that? I said that flat tire, he got killed it. Right. Yeah. Just there at the end, leading 23 laps was up there in contention that we've seen so far um, with the new team of not a new team, new team to him of CR seven. So there's another one. We know he's a championship driver to see if that organization can match up. And what we've seen the first two races, I think they're on point. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a very good point. Okay, now uh, now that we've got two races in the book, Jay, it's uh, starting to show up in the series point standings for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, so do you want to kind of cover that for us? I certainly will, and this is uh, interesting. As mentioned, we saw Nick Sanchez get the win. He is third, the one win by a points uh, contending driver. Kyle Busch is not eligible for points. He's third in points, 12 points back. In between them, time Majeski. We expect him to be that annual contender. But leading the points by 10 is Tyler Ankrum. That's what I wanted to mention on him. You said you guys talked about him on Thursday. I think we're going to be talking more about him with McAnally Hilgeman Racing. Um, fourth in points, there you got Corey Heim. And I, don't, I try not to be a downer here, but right now in points, fifth points, Rajah Karuth. Have to see if that maintains, as well as Brent Holmes. And I don't know if he's running the full season. That's why I mentioned him. Uh, then you got Matt yeah, Crafton, so Taylor. Say again, Sharon? He has so far. 
Uh, right, and, and 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 off to a good start, and then hopefully maybe that helps him make a decision if he was on the fence or bring sponsorship if that's what they need because he's in a great position, had two great races to start the season here for that number 20 or 32 team. Um, then you got Matt Crafton, Taylor Gray, Christian Eckes, and Daniel Dye as your top 10. Then you got Grant Infinger just outside, Timmy Hill, Spencer Boyd, Tanner Gray. These are the ones that we'll have to wait and see how their season develops as you get around that cut line. Yes, indeed. Now, you know, last week I think we talked about the ties that were in the series point standings. There's no ties here this week. So they're starting to separate themselves in that series point standings. Any surprises well, and, for you on this list? Go ahead. There are a couple, but you mentioned it's two super speedway races, which we know a lot of things can happen. Um, that's why I think you got to give it another week or two, and then we'll really see who we feel is going to be contenders. There can still be those surprises, somebody that comes on late. Unfortunately, we see it where sometimes there's ones that have a good regular season or early season and fade during the summer months. So we'll see how it develops. But it's an interesting mix right now. And as I mentioned, there's a few names down the list that I think we're going to see move up. I mean, Ben Rhodes, the defending champion again, is 26 in points right now after a rough start. He's not going to stay there. So got to put him back in the mix. If somebody goes in, somebody's got to come out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. Uh, Yeah, that, that would be the big surprise for me. The defending champion has really had a rough start. Um, I'm glad to see Johnny Sauter back. I know he only raced the one race at Daytona, but I was happy to see him. Um, and uh, let's see, were there any other surprises? I don't think they're really surprises. I, I'm glad Roger Caruso is having the kind of year that he's having so far. Uh, like you say, we'll see if he can. he's able to sustain that as the season uh, goes on. Uh, Stuart Friesen was one of the drivers that we talked about to keep your eye on. He had some really good stats at Atlanta, but uh, his night didn't really pan out. Yeah, that's one of those. I know he said that they kind of reorganized the team. Crew chief there has been a rotation, and I think they might even be doing that throughout this year. I think maybe three different ones kind of doing it. We've seen him be a championship contender so we know the capability is there. I just don't know what's missing. And there, and there's several teams, um, him being one that has won before and been the championship contender, but there's a couple that I feel this could, year could be whether or not they're going to, I don't want to say make it, but Dean Thompson mentioned uh, the Grays, Tanner and Taylor Gray, Caden mm-hmm. Honeycutt. Again, good start to the season, whether or not that maintains. And you know me, he's from Meridian, Mississippi, Chase Purdy. And with that Spire Motorsports mm-hmm. team, I really felt last year when he came to KBM, that was going to be his breakout year. And he had a very solid year, just barely missing the playoffs of whether or not he can return to that form. Yeah, I, I think over the time we're going to see more of Chase Purdy. Um, so I'm not too worried about him. He's 24, 21 right now in the point standings. Uh, But I think uh, we will see more of him as this uh, season progresses. Um, What about the new guys? Are there any new guys that you, you mentioned Caden Honeycutt. 
Any of the new guys that you uh, are looking to watch this season? Well, I know uh, there's been talk about him of, of Thad Moffitt, grandson of Richard Petty, coming from the Arkham Menard series. That's another one that we've got to wait and see how he develops. Um, has not had the best showing to start right now in 36 in points. And Lane Riggs, uh, another one in that 38 front row motorsports. Uh, high expectations, has not had the best races. The team has had some issues you mentioned we're going to talk about in Hot Topics. Um, apparently, you have to have a roof to finish a race. Uh, that's always a good thing, um, <laughs> as well as a legal thing. So we'll talk about that here in yeah. eh, another 30 minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. Um that's definitely on the hot topics here for tonight. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, I was looking to see who the – okay, the he's kind of the highest finishing rookie, did they say? Lane Riggs was, but now he's further back. Connor Jones is a rookie this season along with Lane Riggs and Thad Moffitt. So we'll see how they do. Um, as the season progresses, that you know, the season has a way of uh, kind of separating people, if you will, in the point standings here. I think the first half of the season, we can't expect too much from them. Uh, I think the real tell is when we get to the second half of the season for the for the rookies. Most certainly. I mean, with the rare exception, and we talk about it like in the Xfinity series with Jesse Love, it is a learning curve. So you're right, especially in their rookie season, that's kind of what you look at is the second half of the season, especially at tracks where they're visiting for the second time. Um, but even if it's a new track in the latter half of the season, it is just how they've developed in progression with their team. You know, whether that be going from 25th to 20th, 20th to 15th, progression that's what you're looking for absolutely okay we're going to go ahead and move on to the nascar xfinity series uh they had a race this weekend and uh there were some more records broken austin hill not only won uh three races at daytona he now has three races uh, and wins at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and he went back-to-back for the first two races of the season. Uh, another driver who's just had some amazing stats. He's become the fourth different driver in NASCAR Series history to win the first two races of the season. He joins Dale Earnhardt, who did, who did it in 1986. Chad Little did it in 1995, and Tony Stewart in 2008. So that's some pretty good company he's uh, with there. <clears throat> it was his eighth victory in 83 Xfinity Series starts, his second victory and second top ten finish, his third victory and fourth top ten in five races at Atlanta. That's amazing. Three out of five races at Atlanta he has won. Uh, Chandler Smith came in second. That was his first top 10 finish in three races at Atlanta. His second top 10 finish this year. Van Gisbergen, Shane Van Gisbergen was third. That was an amazing finish for him. That's his first top 10 finish in the series track debut at Atlanta. And the third uh, was the top rookie of the race. Uh, So some good stats for him there. 
Uh, Sunoco rookie Jesse Love led most of the laps in that race, but in the end, it was his teammate in Richard Childress Racing, Austin Hill, who had Saturday's Rapture King of Cup 250 fall into his lap. Um, so for the second straight week, Austin Hill found himself in victory lane as he stretched his fuel mileage in order to pick up that win at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Um, that Atlanta, by the way, happens to be his home track, so I'm sure he's happy about that as well. Um, Chandler Smith made a pit stop late in the race during a caution, ensuring that he had enough fuel to make it, and uh, he was able to make it uh, into the overtime in order to finish uh, in that second spot. Shane Van Gisbergen scored his first top five uh, in, in the series. He was followed by Sheldon Creed, Parker Retzlaff to round out the top five. Then it was Jeremy Clements who took the uh, checkered flag in sixth place, followed by Anthony Alfredo, Jeffrey Earnhardt, Ryan Truex, and Sammy Smith to round out the top 10. Jesse Love actually won both stages from the pole position. Again, he led that race high 157 laps. Uh, he was among multiple drivers to run out of gas in that overtime that took place. Uh, he, Parker Kligerman and A.J. Allmendinger were two other drivers uh, that ran out of gas. There were 11 lead changes among five drivers and four cautions for 23 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race uh, was at 135.474 miles per hour. Let's talk about those race results in our top 10. Are you still with me, Jay? My bad. I had to mute on. Um, let me start back again. This is one of the tough races to cover as a broadcaster and a diehard race fan to somebody that may not be a devout follower. Uh, you already heard somebody say Austin Hill was given one, and you kind of mentioned it, uh, it fell into his lap. Okay, there's mm-hmm. some truth to that. Uh, Jesse Love, you mentioned it, and I alluded to it earlier. Led 157 of 169 laps, all but 12 laps. That is pure domination when it comes to a race. And there were a lot of circumstances that led into it. I know we had a wreck that took out some top drivers. Um, You know, people want to point the finger to that. Yes, that's true. But let's start with the winner, Austin Hill. Yes, that race was kind of given to him. But if you watch the race, they had penalties. They had issues. They had damaged car to put themselves back in position to take advantage of whatever opportunity was given to them. Uh, That's where it's at. Exactly. You've got to get that whole story. Whether they finished third, fourth, or fifth at that point, they were a story unto themselves of what they overcame in position. And being in that position, when the fuel mileage issue became a thing, they capitalized on it. So you can't take that away from them. Not at all. Um, I agree 100% with you there. And there you mentioned great run for Shane Van Gisbergen. Wouldn't have been necessarily top five, but there again, stayed out of trouble. And for him as a rookie, coming from the V8 series, primarily road course racing, 
great performance when he finishes the race of even on the lead lap, uh, honestly. We know he's a talent, but just to come to a super speedway racing, which he didn't finish Daytona or the Arkham and Ard Series race he was in, got the experience. And again, was in position, stayed out of trouble, capitalized on it, and scooted, moved up some positions. There's several here. If you were to look at this list of questioning if these guys were even honestly in the race, Jeremy Clements, Anthony Alfredo, Jeffrey Earnhardt, and I'm not t- bagging on them by any means, but they are not your normal top 10 contenders. They were in position, though, and, and that's important. Uh, and I don't want to get too frustrated. I know in hot topics we get have a little more opinionated, but um, – they were in position. They were having good runs that turned into great finishes, and that's what they're there to yep. do. You know, stick with it. And they did, and they did. And you're right. I 100% agree. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, Austin Hill, uh, all of those drivers, uh, that pit stop by Chandler Smith, these drivers put themselves in that position uh, to be able to take advantage of the situation. Now, we mentioned Jesse Love uh, running out of gas. He still ended up with a 12-place finish, which, which isn't bad at all. Uh, Riley Earps was having a good run. He ran out of gas. Cole Custer was one of those uh, that ran out of gas. Um, Jordan Anderson, let's go to that list of uh, drivers. He was one of the first drivers out at lap 98. He had a steering issue that took him out. And actually, he's the only driver that was uh, taken out of the race. Everybody else was running, although some of them were running laps down or one or more laps down. There were only 13 drivers uh, that finished on the lead lap, and Jeffrey Love was one of those drivers. Here's here's something I found interesting as I was looking over this sheet. Of you mentioned Jordan Anderson being out with the steering issue. Josh Williams in the 37th spot completed 159 laps, uh, only 10 shy. Uh, that's relatively abnormal. You're talking 37 of the cars being there at the end. Like I said, he was 10 laps short. Uh, Kyle Sieg, C.J. McLaughlin. Uh, were five short where they were involved in a dust-up that uh, brought out that last caution, which is what caused the fuel issues. So you're talking about the entire field being on the track. I won't say competitive, but being out there on the track. And that's where I stress it's so much so important of you still got to be in position and have a decent car to, in order to capitalize on this because if you make a mistake and lose a lap or whatever, you're talking about going halfway down the field or more because everybody's still out there. That's right. That's right. Uh, So, yeah, that is kind of amazing that so many of these drivers uh, had their car still running at the end of that race, only one driver out. The margin of victory in this race was Uh, 106, so that's 106 thousandths of a second. So pretty amazing. Um, Do you want to go ahead and cover the points here? Well, the other thing I wanted to hit on of when we look at what could be playoff teams and then championship contending teams, we've seen several really good starts to the year, and that'll be reflected here when we cover the point standings. But Sheldon Creed in fourth, uh, Chandler Smith ended up second, you mentioned. Parker Retzlaff driving for uh, Jordan Anderson Racing. 
got another top five to start this season. So I got a lot of interest here in the Xfinity Series. I say as we move away from these first two super speedways and our grind of the, the week in and week out, a variety of tracks starts ne- next week at Las Vegas to see who really mm-hmm. is going to contend this season. Because I think this season that playoff cut line is going to be real interesting to watch come midsummer, especially. Well, I think you're right. Now, the other um, two series, when we talk about uh, the point standings, you hit on it. Austin Hill has won both races so far. It's tough to take a points lead from somebody that's out there winning every week. So <laughs> Austin Hill is your points leader by 17 points already. And this is where I mentioned just good finishes. Sheldon Creed, second in points, 17 points back. Riley Herbst, you mentioned ran out of gas in this one. Third place based on stages, um, where he's finishing stages. So he's third in points. Then Chandler Smith, Jesse Love as a rookie, and Parker Retzlaff, your top six. Then we got Ryan, two great races there in that number 19. I believe he is part-time, so that'll shift uh, the points uh, a little bit starting next week. Then you got A.J. Allman, that you're back in this Xfinity Series full-time for college racing. You know he's going to make a run at that championship, uh, your regular season champion a few years back. Shane Van Gisbergen, even with a Daytona finish, is ninth in points. Sammy Smith, 10th. And then you got Justin Algar and Cole Custer, 11th and 12th. Uh, champion in 12th, Justin Algar, one of the final four, and we expect to be a contender all year. Brandon Jones for Junior Motorsports, you're one outside right now in 13th, and it's only a four-point gap. And I know we got a couple of ties already in this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are... A couple of ties here. Uh, Chandler Smith and Jesse Love, the rookie, are both tied uh, in this uh, set of uh, points. And then Justin Augauer and Cole Custer, they're tied for that number 11 spot at 46 points back from the leader. Uh, Did I miss one here? No. I think that's the two ties that we have in the uh, Xfinity series. Uh, Austin Hill is really racking up those points already uh, for playoff points. It's going to be hard to catch him, I think. And that's one of those we've seen. The more playoff points you have, you have a rough uh, few races in each round of the playoffs, you make it to the next round based on that, and you reset back to the top. He already has 11 playoff points built up. Uh, The only other one in the top, 10 that I see is Jesse Love, and that's three. That would be the 14 we have for for the season. Now the RCR team just gobbling them up. They are. Um, all right. I thought I had the page here. Let's go ahead and move over to the uh, – I was listening to um, – who was I listening to? Or was it an article I read? Somebody was telling me or was talking about, oh, I know who it was. Toby Christie over at uh, Racing America was talking about how this is the best race ever that happened in the uh, Amber Health 400 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. What are your thoughts about that? To call it the best race ever is a tough debate 
But let me tell you, this race has to be in that conversation for sure. <laughs> okay, we'll probably talk about that during Hot Topics as well. Uh, Daniel Suarez uh, took the lead in a three-wide photo finish. I really thought maybe it was going to be uh, Ryan Blaney, but it was Daniel Suarez for his second victory in 253 Cup Series races. His first victory in first top ten of the season and his first victory in fifth top ten in 11 races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. He's the 49th different Cup Series winner to win at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Ryan Blaney uh, came in second. It was awfully close. He posted his seventh top 10 finish in 12 races at Atlanta in his first top 10 of the year. Kyle Busch came in third, his 14th top 10 finish in 29 races at Atlanta. Kaz Gralla, who finished 14th, was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, This win was Trackhouse Racing's seventh win in the NASCAR Cup Series, the first at Atlanta. The finish uh, also had a margin of victory of point zero zero three thousandths of a second. That's how close it was. That's the closest finish at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the closest finish at a 1.5-mile track, and the third closest in the NASCAR Cup Series since the inception of the electronic scoring uh, that started in 1993. Uh, They produced 48 different lead changes, a new NASCAR Cup Series record at Atlanta Motor Speedway for um, lead changes with 46 lead changes in this race. That was set back in, uh, it was originally set back in uh, March of 2022. Uh, There are also 14 different leaders. The The fifth straight race, with a dozen or more different leaders uh, dating back from 2022 to 2024 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And they also produced 110 green flag passes for the lead. That's the second most all-time at Atlanta on a 1.5-mile track, and the record is 141. That was in Atlanta on March of 2022 as well. so it was really a remarkable ebb and flow throughout the day uh, with that breathtaking four-wide action into the corners uh, that's not really built to accommodate uh, four cars going in this, into that corner. I know we were worried about three cars in the Xfinity Series, uh, and they were going four cars. It was totally appropriate that Sunday's Ambetter 400 um, race at Atlanta Motor Speedway would end in that three-wide photo finish uh, with Daniel Suarez seeking out a victory over two of the best right now, Ryan Blaney and uh, Kyle Busch. Uh, The margin, as I mentioned earlier, at .003 seconds was the third closest in NASCAR history. The win was the first of the year and the first at Atlanta and the second in his career. Ryan Blaney in second, followed by Kyle Busch. Then it was Austin Sendrick. And these guys were pretty much three wide coming to the line, too. Uh, Bubba Wallace and Ricky Stenhouse. Then there was Ross Chastain, Michael McDowell, Chris Busher, and Ty Gibbs. 
The pole sitter, uh, Michael McDowell, led 27 laps in one stage one. He ended up finishing in eighth place. Stage two was won by the number two of Austin Sendrick, who finished fourth. Again, 14 lead changes among 18 drivers, a new record at Atlanta, 10 cautions for 65 yellow flag laps. The average speed of that race, 115.398 miles per hour. I know that's a lot of stats, uh, but there were some records broken this weekend out at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Well, and I'm going to give a few more here, break it down even a little bit more. It's kind of the question you asked. Was it the best race ever? Uh, you mentioned the number, different number of lead changes. And this race, again, early on, I don't remember what lap it was. We had a wreck that took out 16, or involved. Let me repeat, let me change that. It involved. There you go. Lap 19 involved 16 drivers, almost a third of the field, um, so you're saying, oh, the top contenders got taken out. When you look at the finish, though, Brad Keselowski in 33rd still finished 218 of those laps. There were a lot of teams up front, even at the end, that had been through. I think there were only five. They listed five drivers that were not involved in an accident of some sort, and they weren't necessarily the top five. That's I wanted to give here. Um for ones that say racing is or NASCAR racing is follow the leader. Ryan Blady led six times for 31 laps. Kyle Busch six times for 28 laps. Austin Sindrick two for 32. Michael McDowell five for 27 laps. Uh, Martin Truex five times for nine laps. Uh, somebody for 15. Denny Hamlin. Todd Dillon six times for 58 laps. Joey Logano three times for 27 laps. Kyle Larson seven times for 17 laps there's racing up front obviously and that isn't even all of them those were just the bigger numbers mm -hmm. uh your, your winner daniel soares twice for nine laps it's about being in contention and in position and daniel soares made his position made his opportunity going to the yes, outside three wide and if you listen to the post race both blaney and bush acknowledge that the one a little bit further back when those two got side by side gave him that opportunity to get up on the high side as they were trying to side draft each other, pull each other, slow each other down. Suarez went to the high side, high, wide, and handsome. And I, I look at that photo. <laughs> I've done different uh, different races where you try and line cars up on a starting line, you know, for a, like a drag race or something. You can't get cars to line up like that you know, inching up to the line to come across by that margin for those three. And Austin Sindrick, it almost could have been a four wide. Austin Sindrick was right there in that same screenshot just behind him. Um, so yeah. absolutely amazing finish. To me, it was a great race all the way around. Accidents happened, but there was still, as I mentioned, only five cars that weren't involved in the accident. That means even if they were the top five, six through tenths that were still in contention and battling had some type of damage or been in an accident. That's impressive. That is impressive, uh, given all of the things that were happening in that race. Uh, speaking of accidents, there were two drivers that were out because of accidents. Uh, one relatively quickly. Uh, lap two, it was Josh Williams. Uh, that uh, had an accident taking him out of the race. Noah Gregson 
uh, back with Stuart Haas Racing uh, back in the series, but with Stuart Haas Racing driving the number 10. He had an accident taking him out on lap 66. And Zane Smith uh, was out on lap 75 for the damaged vehicle policy. Uh, the next several drivers all had accidents. Uh, that's Christopher Bell, lap 148. Brad Keselowski finished uh, the 218 laps. He was out. Uh, Kyle Larson on lap 222. Chase Briscoe on lap 239. And then Josh Berry was out on lap 250 uh, because of an accident. So uh, some interesting stats there. A lot more drivers uh, caught up in accidents. But that lap that uh, involved 19 drivers, that was on lap two of the race. <laughs> and to have one of those drivers not make it back into the race, pretty amazing. That's what, uh, and I, the one that sticks out in my mind, and obviously is the most popular driver, so they kind of covered it. Chase Elliott um, overcame a lot with the repairs and whatnot. But there were several other drivers that certainly uh, – had some issues. Michael McDowell being one of them. Chris Buescher ended up in the ninth place. He was one of those. I truthfully wasn't even sure he was going to be able to continue. Harrison Burton, uh, I know we're looking at him for this year of kind of that breakout year, was one of them that, again, was around and had some issues, came back and finished just outside the top 10 in 11th place. So there were some great storylines throughout this and that's one of those, you, you mentioned some top names, championship contending names down there at the bottom, just like in the points. When somebody's out or move, moves in, somebody has to move out. So those top drivers not finishing up front opens that door. Um, Austin Sindrick, I know we, he had a rough season last year, called it the sophomore slump, certainly been a player with Penske Racing this year yeah. so far in these first two races. Bubba Wallace, and I'll get to him when we talk about the points, finished in fifth place. Uh, Ross Chastain, Michael McDowell, um, got the article, I know you got that up, on Front Row Motorsports to start the season with Michael McDowell mm -hmm. and his teammate. Uh, I mentioned Todd Gilland. Ah, man, I know I fell asleep and I told you I hadn't seen the end of the race. I watched it uh, late last night. You said, <laughs> said I was going to enjoy the finish. I was kind of thinking Todd Gill, and being that I'd mentioned uh, wanting to see him have his breakout year, being up front, uh, they set some records from Front Row Motorsports of laps led in a yeah. race, career uh, hated to see. You know, and I saw his interview after he was upbeat. Again, the team knows they were there. They didn't get that finish, but mm -hmm. they were there and contending, and that's what you want to see. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points report. I do have a little thing that I want to make sure I mention before we get into hot topics, uh, but uh, I do want to make sure we cover the points here too. Well, here again, of you, we talk about William Byron won the Daytona 500, um, and Daniel Suarez winning this race. Your points leader by one point is Kyle Busch. Consistency still matters. Yeah, one point back for two drivers is William Byron with that victory, and then Austin Sindrick as they are tied at 76 points. Three points back behind them. Bubba Wallace in fourth, and the reason I said I wanted to mention him, the only driver 
so far to finish in the top 10, they've actually been in the top five for both races, is Bubba Wallace. Then you got Ryan Blaney, defending champion. Chase Elliott, prior champion. Seventh place is where you get Daniel Suarez with that victory, picking up those five important five playoff points, um, not just getting in the playoffs, but building that playoff bucket, as Larry McReynolds like to say. Then, let's see, where did I leave off? Uh, eighth, Ross Chastain, Alex Bowman, Martin Truex, Kyle Larson. We've seen a couple of hiccups in, there, in those teams, but they're still in contention right now. Twelfth, uh, Corey LaJoy, John Hunter Nemechek in 13th, Ty Gibbs 14th, Chris Busher had a great season last year as far as breaking out in 15th, and Christopher Bell in 16th. The only thing I want to add there, those are the 16 that are in right now, two races in. Denny Hamlin is not. We know he's going to be a championship contender. Some drivers that have dug a hole, Tyler Reddick in 26th, Joey Logano, 33rd, Brad Keselowski, I'm sorry, Austin Dillon in 35th, Brad Keselowski in 36th. Um, They're not going to stay there, so it'll be interesting to see how far they come up out of that hole. Yeah, it is going to be interesting. Um, uh, Some of these guys uh, are kind of back there, but we still got a lot of season to go, though, too. Uh, so it is going to be interesting to see. Uh, the best way for them to boost themselves up is to uh, get that victory, and uh, they'll be right up there. And you know a driver like Joey Logano can probably do that. He's back there. Um, Rad Keselowski. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. we'll see how the season comes along here. But I think uh, we're going to see these points shake up quite a bit. Uh, you mentioned the tie between uh, second for second place between Byron and Sendrick. Uh, there's another tie for ninth and ninth spot, and that's between Alex Bowman and Martin Truex Jr. And I believe that's the only one in the top 16. Although there's one for 16 and 17 between Christopher Bell and, and Eric Jones. That's the difference between being in the playoffs and being out of the playoffs. And those guys are tied right at the line. So that's kind of an interesting uh, situation there as well. More uh, one one quick thing way. here. Uh, yeah, there is another one right behind him, actually, between Stenhouse and Denny uh, Hamlin. But one more thing before you uh, get to your last point there. The top 30 rule, that you have to be in the top 30 and have the yeah. victory in order to qualify for the playoffs, is no longer there. So these drivers I mentioned, all they need is to attempt to start every race and have the victory. The top 30 in points rule is no longer there. So that could be very interesting when it comes to those drivers that are down there, that a victory, we expect them to be in the top 30 anyway. But I just wanted to point out that rule is no longer uh, there. I think they removed that last year already. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a really good change, I think. Okay, uh, and I downloaded this myself today, but Hutch Games and NASCAR have come out with NASCAR Manager. Uh, It's a mobile game. It's now available worldwide on iOS and Android. Uh, Outsmart your opponents in the ultimate NASCAR Manager experience. So 
Uh, I downloaded that app from uh, the Google Play Store uh, today, and it looks pretty interesting. You can pretty much manage your own team. Uh, It combines the energy and the excitement of NASCAR racing directly with the design and strategy of a manager-style game all. All the ease and access from your smartphone. Players can compete in thrilling one-to-one contests with the toughest rival races around the world. Uh, Managers can recruit and train drivers, customize deliveries, refine their car's tuning, and make decisions under pressure and more. You go full throttle from the start or save fuel and tires for that late surge. You're in charge. You call the shots. From player versus player duels and monthly exhibitions to weekly leagues, uh, there are endless ways for races to prove themselves. So the first iteration of the NASCAR manager includes real-world tracks such as Daytona International Speedway, Talladega Super Speedway, and it also features real-life stock cars like the Chevrolet next-gen Camaro ZL1. Uh, So NASCAR Manager will consistently be updated and include NASCAR-related intellectual property and will listen to fan feedback to create the best possible user experience. So additional tracks uh, will be featured, um, and the NASCAR Cup Series teams will be featured in future updates. Uh, so there's some features include beat your rival, seize the initiative, race together, take control, and deep strategy. So uh, I downloaded it uh, on my phone today. Uh, it looks like it's a really cool app. I can't wait to see how others uh, uh, if others take part in that uh, opportunity and uh, become their own manager of NASCAR. Well, I'll tell you what, I think, I don't remember what year, it was one of the EA Sports, uh, when NASCAR had the EA Sports uh, PlayStation game, had the setup similar to that when you're talking about being the manager of the team as well as as running the team. So that is really interesting. I know I had a lot of fun with it on the PlayStation. So I'm kind of surprised it took them this long, actually, to get it into the app and, and online world from that aspect. But you'll have to give some feedback on that, uh, on how it is and and how you rank there as opposed to your fantasy uh, pits. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guarantee you I probably could do better. Um, but uh, I thought it was uh, interesting news. We have our Fan for Racing crew standing by uh, for us to get started with uh, Fan for Racing uh, Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, we'll start with... Uh, I believe we have Tommy Kraft here. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, how are y'all? Thanks for having me back. We're glad to have you back. And then we've also got Mike Orzel on board. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello, good evening. Glad to be back. And none other than Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Well, good thing it's none other. We don't want two of me. <laughs> but, yes, good evening. How are you doing? <laughs> doing great. Uh, okay. Let's go ahead and get started with our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion here tonight. Um, and, uh, Andy, I think I'm going to let you start us off. Yeah, I, I wanted to touch on the, the racing in Atlanta. Um, the cup race 
uh, was billed as one of the best races in NASCAR in a very long time, uh, producing, I think it was the third or fourth closest finish in NASCAR history this past weekend. Okay. Uh, And I'm glad you brought that up because Jay and I were talking about that earlier. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts about it? It's weird. So you remember the scene from the movie The Matrix where the the guy's eating the steak and he's talking to the the agent and he's like, you know, in my mind, I know that this steak isn't real, but ignorance is bliss, right? And I almost have the same feeling about Atlanta Motor Speedway. I know that everything that we see on that track is contrived. It's somewhat artificial. The, The racing is the way it is because a lot of effort was put forth to make it that way. It is not a natural expression of racing, but all oh, ignorance is bliss. That was a good race yesterday. Highly entertaining. I think everyone got what they were looking for there. Um, not just the finish, but you know, throughout the race, it was, uh, it was very, very good. It seemed like there was a lot of opportunity for passing, a lot of very competitive cars, uh, comers and goers. I think all but seven t- cars, I think it was fewer than, uh, fewer than 10 cars were involved in some incident or another on the track uh, and had some manner of damage by the end of the race. But there were only a few cars that had so much damage that they were eliminated from the race. So it was, uh, it was a, a very good race, very entertaining, a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, I've, I've got to swallow my pride, and I've got to say this, this new Atlanta is pretty entertaining. With that said, there's been a lot talked about where the surface is already starting to age. They talked about it in the pre-race. Uh, Dale Jr. has also talked about it in his, uh, his podcast, uh, as well as in other forms. Even though they just reconfigured this track three years ago, um, that initial aging of the pavement has started to take place. So there's already a discussion about how much longer can we expect racing like this. Denny Hamlin has said that he expects NASCAR to do, he didn't give any details, but do, quote, what is necessary in order to preserve uh, the racing like we've come to see it in Atlanta over the past, I think this is the fifth race on the reconfigured Atlanta. Um, so, yeah, definitely an entertaining race. How much longer it lasts like that before the, the age of the track surface begins to take away from it, I don't know. But uh, if the, the playoff race is anything like this one, it's going to be a long eight months before we get to that point, and I'm looking forward to it. Okay, Tommy, what are your thoughts? Uh, compared to the truck and Xfinity races at Atlanta, uh, I thought last night's race was great, especially with that um, three-wide photo finish. I can't remember the last time we've seen one like that. I think Talladega a couple years ago. So, And it was also refreshing uh, for them to end the race under green with a photo finish versus um, how it usually ends at Daytona and Talladega with the yellow flag and whoever's leading wins it because of the caution. Um, yeah, I, I, when I first saw it, I thought it, for sure it was Blaney, and then I thought it was Suarez, and I just kept on looking, and I was like, man, like, I, what if it was a tie? And um, I don't know. It, you know. it reminded me of Ricky Craven. It reminded me of uh, when Ryan Blaney – like, I feel like the last three or four races Ryan Blaney has won at Talladega. He's won in a photo finish. So it was about time that he uh, lost one in a photo finish, and he definitely had that happen to him um, last night. And uh, like I said, compared to the trucks and the Xfinity series, it was uh, a great race, and it was nice to see it end uh, under green versus a caution. I, I really don't have any complaints. I, it was 
just awesome. Um, up to the finish, I actually do have to say that the the race wasn't as entertaining as it was in July there last year. I mean, it was still entertaining, don't get me wrong, but when Junior was calling that race last year in July, I mean, it was, that was a crazy race. And this race last night, you know, there was some wrecks and there was a lot of cautions and there was a lot going on, but those, like, last five laps were absolutely – it made it worth the whole race, in my opinion. Uh, I'm I'm all for the uh, reconfiguration. I hope they don't change it. Um or not change it, but I mean, I, I hope that it's there to stay. Um, yeah, no complaints. All right, Jay. Well, I'm going to use a phrase that I don't know if you've heard or seen. What more do you want? And I say that because Mike's <laughs> got an article out of that from the, the Daytona 500 finish. But when it comes to this Atlanta race, I mean, that's the question I'd have to ask. What more do you want? I'm not going to run through it again. You can go back and if you haven't already listened to the stats I gave, the number of drivers that led laps, multiple good chunks of laps up front. We had passing for the lead. And I know that this is now considered a super speedway race, but it's still a mile and a half track. And that's what makes it that much more interesting. Talk about the close finish. We've seen, I think it was the third closest in Atlanta history period the third overall in NASCAR, um, one of which uh, was Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch. And that's what I compare it to when I first saw it was going back to that. Not as much bumping and banging, but just that side-by-side action. And the reason I use those two is because Daytona and Talladega, we've come to expect that when it comes to the pack racing, what line's pushing what and how they come across. So I kind of set those aside this is still a mile-and-a-half track, but it does race like the super speedway. What Mike got into with the, uh, the wearing of the pavement, I'll do this on the second round, but the other factor that comes in is the lack of practice. I know that was discussed on Sirius XM uh, throughout the week, or day, actually, since it happened last night. I guess I was in the vehicle a lot today. I feel like it's been a week. But um, I'll come back to that on my second time round. But for me, yeah, I mean, you got what you wanted. That was side-by-side racing up front all the way to the finish with a three-wide photo finish. Not a, just a side-by-side, a three-wide photo finish. Yeah, that, to me, that's what distinguishes it from all these other photo finishes. This was a three-wide at a track that uh, we're not supposed to be able to see three-wide, especially in the corners. Uh, and these guys, and the thing is, the guys behind them were all three-wide, too. So I thought it was a, a really good race. Uh, I read an article by Toby Christie over at uh, Racing America today. He thought it was the greatest race ever in NASCAR, and he gave all his reasons why he felt that way. Uh, <laughs> a lot of it was the goosebumps, I guess, uh, that he felt uh, when it was all happening. Uh, and he mentioned a few other goosebump moments uh, within NASCAR. Uh, I don't really see it as gimmicky when NASCAR or a track tries to improve their track to make for better racing. If you think about some of the races we watched before that reconfiguration, they were not that, the racing was not that great at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So I applaud them for doing what they've done to make better racing at that track. I think that's what we expect uh, them to do. 
And I think the racing has been a lot better uh, with that. The concern, and a couple of you have alluded to this, is that um, that track, that it seems like it's weathering uh, a little bit faster than they, they had hoped. Uh, but let me tell you something. The drivers love it when it weathers. Uh, we heard Kyle Busch on his interview post-race say that he liked the old Atlanta Motor Speedway, even though it produced kind of not-so-great racing. Um, <clears throat> but And drivers will like it if it does weather. So we'll have to wait and see if that weathering uh, helps us keep the kind of racing that we're watching now or if we'll get something better. But uh, I'm glad they did what they did uh, because I didn't really care for the racing at Atlanta Motor Speedway until now. So this was some of the best racing we've seen. Andy? Yeah, I I think that it was really a tale of two weekends. Um, If we compare uh, Saturday with the truck and Xfinity series and the cup race, I thought that – what we saw on Saturday was extremely subpar to be blunt about it. Um, and I started to worry that maybe the track had already started to weather to the point where the super speedway style package just it wasn't going to work anymore, but that was completely blown away with an excellent race yesterday. Uh, so that tells me that whatever super speedway rules they're using for the cup cars, that works. And it wasn't single file all day. In fact, it was anything but single file. It was largely in part two and three wide. Um, a lot of, you know, crazy runs and, and moves. And, and that's the thing about this, which which is what makes it different from Daytona and Talladega, is even though it's a super speedway rules package, it still um, has some characteristics to an intermediate track. And the runs all happen a lot quicker. Uh, everything happens a lot quicker because it's an entirely – um, it's an entire mile shorter than, than your typical Daytona Talladega. So everything happens quicker. Um, and it just makes for a lot of, you know, great racing and great entertainment. And that's what, what it's intended to do. I think the key word, and Mike has certainly alluded to this, it's entertainment. That's really, I think, what Atlanta turned into. But if we look at what the alternative would be, which is, um, you know, drawn out, uh, racing or, you know, cars drawn out all over the racetrack, it would turn into a snooze fest, which, you know, we've certainly complained about many other mile and a half about being snooze fest. So I've said this before in regards to, you know, this particular scenario of Atlanta, I don't have a problem with what they did to make it a super speedway um, race weekend twice a year, but I certainly wouldn't want to see this be a trend at say Texas or Charlotte or other mile and a half. I think that, you know, they did it in Atlanta. That's great. This is cool. Um, but don't make 15 super speedway races throughout the year because it is, you know, it is, it is fabricated, but does it make for entertaining racing? Yes, it does. And I think that a race like yesterday will probably, you know, create a buzz and, and potentially attract new fans because anyone who watched yesterday as their first ever race, I mean, they they got a very rare treat, you know, and it, it probably made some new fans, undoubtedly. So, um, no, yesterday was awesome, you know, and that's what you hope that, um, that you hope you can sustain that, that moving forward. But um, it was just, to me, incredible, the difference in Saturday's racing versus yesterday. But, uh, you know, obviously that was the intended product. So, 
you know, I'm going to have to give a tip of the hat to, to NASCAR and, and SMI for, um, you know, a job in, well done for what they intended it to be, and, and that was a good product yesterday. I mean, is that a different definition of NASCAR racing every week? No, it's not, and, and uh, obviously we'll see a big change going to Vegas with a normal intermediate package this weekend, but uh, it was fun to watch. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you didn't know who was going to win until the start-finish line, and, and that's the fun of it. Okay. Mike, your follow-up? I'm going to hit up uh, two points that actually Jay and Andy have brought up. Uh, first is what Andy brought up. I don't know what it was, but there was there's something different uh, between the Xfinity cars and the Cup cars that led to a tale of two very, very different races. Uh, the the Saturday race, the Xfinity Series race, was terrible. It was uh, it, it, I, looking at, at NASCAR Twitter as I'm as I'm watching the Xfinity Series race, just everyone making jokes about falling asleep and NyQuil and, and stuff like that. And even in our race chat, we were all commenting about how boring that race was. And then the, the, the flip side of that is the cup race, which is a polar opposite. So I'm not sure what the difference is there, but I think that's somewhere that NASCAR needs to look at and say, okay, why was the Xfinity race so bad? And how do we prevent that from happening to the cup race and maybe fix the Xfinity race while we're at it? Uh, because, as good as the cup race was yesterday and as, as much as we're singing the praises of Atlanta right now because of how good that cup race was, all it's going to take is one race in the style of that Xfinity Series race from Saturday, and everyone's going to be, be calling it to bulldoze the new Atlanta. It's over. You know, this, this place is terrible, whatever. So I think it's in everyone's best interest to do a little bit of a postmortem on the Xfinity Series race and figure out what factors played into why that race was so uneventful and why the cup race, on the other hand, was so exciting. Changing gears a little bit, Jay mentioned practice, and I'm going to steal a little bit of his thunder there. Uh, Again, we saw another illustration of why it's a terrible idea that NASCAR has completely done away with practice on uh, super speedway or or drafting tracks or whatever the term is for it now. Uh, Daytona, Talladega, and now Atlanta, they don't have practice at all. For Daytona 500 pole qualifying, we saw uh, Kaz Grawler with a mechanical issue that kept him from making a lap. Some other cars had mechanical issues that would have likely been detected in even a short 30-minute practice session, let alone a proper hour-long session. And then you come into this weekend, and Legacy Motor Club, the three, uh, the two cars from Legacy Motor Club were both way, way, way off on their setup to the point where both cars almost crashed in qualifying. And that could have been quickly rectified with a little bit of practice on the racetrack. Get a couple laps under those race cars, realize that they are downright unsafe to drive, and be able to make changes and not risk wrecking the car prior to to qualifying. I really think NASCAR needs to readdress the the whole practice issue. I know they did it to save costs, and I know even the teams are saying, oh, well, we want to cut costs here. But look at the, uh, the competitive pit stops in the truck series race. They cut those in order to save costs, and they realized that the loss of those competitive pit stops was not worth the cost savings. We, we as fans lost too much in terms of the competitiveness on the racetrack and the entertainment value that those pit stops brought to the, to the overall product. I think that the same decision needs to be made regarding practice for the Cup Series, uh, for, for you know, all three series for that matter. We need to bring at least some manner of practice back to all race weekends uh, find those those mechanical errors, get the, the setup a little bit closer to the cars, and give drivers laps on track, especially when you have drivers in the, the lower-tier series who have 
very, very little practice time already. Uh, Shane Van Gisberg is on record for uh, several times saying he wishes he had more practice. And I think he's really being done a disservice because he gets no opportunity to get laps in the car with the exception of actual competitive events, i.e. qualifying or the race. He doesn't get an opportunity to practice in the car and get better at it and, and become the driver in the Xfinity series that we know he has the talent to be. So having that opportunity back, I think would go a long way. And I think that's money worth spending for NASCAR and these teams. I'm actually going to bring up what Andy brought up about uh, Texas. I I believe I saw either last year or maybe it was early this year on Twitter or X that they were going to reconfigure Texas. I'm, Andy said, you know, no more super speedways. Well, I'll disagree with him on that, and I'm all for them making Texas a super speedway. If they can make Texas into what Atlanta is, then maybe they can pack the stands at Texas because the last, like, 10 or 15 years or ever since the track was built, honestly, in my opinion, um, has not been good. Or since they're making Auto Club a short track, not why not try to make Texas what Auto Club was? Which I mean, I know they probably should have just kept Auto Club the way it was and maybe made Texas a short track. I don't remember what I read exactly what they were going to do with Texas if it was a super speedway or a short track, but I'm I'm okay with them turning Texas into Atlanta. Um, I actually really do like the super speedways. If you, if I could have the schedule my way, we would have a lot of Talladega, a lot of Daytona, a lot of Atlanta, and then a lot of Bristol and Martinsville and North Wilkesboro, and then a few road courses. There would not be very many of uh, what they call cookie cutters. So um, that's just me, though. Uh, but I do, I am curious as to what they are going to do with Texas. They do that. The saying is, everything's bigger in Texas, so why not make one mega super speedway out there or something? <laughs> okay, James. Well, Sharon, we might have to go a third round, or you're going to have to interrupt me in about nine minutes here, because I got a lot to say as we've gone back around here. Um, it goes back to the question of what do you want? Tommy wants to bulldoze Texas. Got it. He didn't outright say it, but that's what he wants. We, we all know that. <laughs> um, we talk about Mike stealing the thunder of practice. You didn't steal my thunder because I think they hit it on the head by not having practice. There has been so much talk of from both fans and drivers, put it back in the driver's hands. Yes, there were some loose cars out there. You mentioned Legacy Motorsports. I saw it during qualifying. Eric Jones had his hands full, but he didn't wreck it. He held on to it. And he talked about the racing at Atlanta. There were some that didn't handle it. And I hate to pick on Andy's guy, Chase Briscoe. He lost it. There were a couple that did. It happened. But there were ones that have the talent, such as Kyle Busch, Daniel Suarez, Brian Blaney, that held on to theirs and made it work. If you go back to having practice where these teams have hours upon hours to perfect their car when you get one car that figures it out, dominates a race like Jesse Love did in the Xfinity series, and then you call it a boring race and say you want to see something different. I don't understand mm -hmm. what it is you're looking for. You talk about how to fix the Xfinity series. Okay, they got a good car. Take it away from them. I mean, that's to me, that's what you're asking for. I, I just I don't understand how you cannot get what you want when it's right there. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, 
there was another thought and I lost it. I'm happy with it. I thought it was great racing. I feel it's like what what people have been asking for, and it was delivered. The drivers that that could manage their cars did so. Some of them didn't. Oh, I know what it was. That was my other one of going back to, and this I kind of got off of the Sirius XM as I was listening throughout the day when it came to the practice issue. Could Chase Elliott's uh, issue have been caught with uh, replacing some type of sensor? He had to go to the back. Was Chase Elliott competitive and involved in that race, even having had to start at the back due to that change? Yes, he was. So what difference would practice have made? He would have been competitive and involved in that race. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not going to add a lot because I think you guys have covered all the points. I will say that we did see the Xfinity series go through wide in a few, a few times. And um, I know that uh, everybody was a little bit worried about those guys going through wide. Uh, and then they were just agape uh, when they saw the cup cars racing four wide and not just one row. They saw several rows racing four wide when the cup series. So there's something Something different there, and I agree that they do need to look at that. Um, but I do think that uh, three whites is not a bad deal either. Um, but I thought we saw some good racing, um, especially in the Cup Series. Andy? <clears throat> oh, let me go ahead yeah, and do I... my announcement. Let me do my announcement real quick, and then we won't have to interrupt you. Um, I... Uh, do an announcement at this time of the night just to let our first-time listeners know we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, We're going to continue our conversation, though, and we will record the remainder of that conversation, and it will be available on our podcast. I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know that the podcast is available, and at that point, you just have to fast forward to the two-hour mark in order to hear the rest of our conversation. So, uh, again, we just don't want anybody to be taken by surprise when we go off air uh, mid-sentence and everybody's wondering what's what's going on. So, Andy, let's hear what you have to say. Yeah, I think, you know, we have to be clear about the fact that I don't think anyone's disappointed with the Cup Series product. That was phenomenal yesterday. Um So, you know, in terms of the question of what more do you want, I don't think anyone's complaining about that. Um, I just think, you know, to to some other people's points that, you know, maybe take a a look at what they were running as far as an aero package goes with the truck series and the Xfinity series to try to maybe get more of a cup-like product, and and then you can make that racing better. Um, You know, but you're going to run into this no matter where you go. Some some racetracks are going to be more conducive to what the cup cars run, and other racetracks are going to be more conducive to what the trucks and the Xfinity Series run. The Xfinity Series, generally speaking, puts on the best racing every single weekend, and uh, that's said by a lot of people within the industry. I'm not in the industry, but, you know, if you listen to enough podcasts and listen to driver interviews, they'll tell you that the, the best racing is oftentimes the Xfinity Series so, you know, obviously that didn't work out this past weekend. So, you know, maybe they can tweak some things for the next race or next year. Um, you know, but generally the Xfinity and Truck Series put on, or at least the Xfinity Series anyway, puts on 
you know, a pretty good product. And I think going to Vegas this weekend, you'll see that on full display. But, um, yeah, overall, I mean, I, you know, my only qualm was with Saturday's product. Sunday's product was phenomenal um, and I think exceeded expectations. I really wasn't quite sure how it was going to be on Sunday, um, given that the track is starting to wear. But overall, it was great. So if they can sustain that product, moving forward, then it's going to be mission accomplished. All right. Uh, Mike, uh, we've got one topic in. What's our next topic? <laughs> 30 minutes. Well, I mean, we've only burned up half of the show. On, yeah, we've only burned up half the show on one topic, so I might as well bring up another spicy one. Uh, this one started in Atlanta, but in retrospect, it actually goes back to Daytona as well. Uh, at the beginning of the Atlanta broadcast, the Cup Series broadcast, it was announced that Joey Logano, would be going to the rear of the field, and they explained that they, he got caught using a glove, a left-hand glove that had webbed fingers. Now, if you remember watching qualifying for pretty much all drafting tracks at this point, but just this year, Daytona and Atlanta, you'll see drivers put their left hand up in the window to try and block some of that airflow coming in through the window to give themselves a little bit of an aerodynamic advantage. Uh, Logano was penalized for having an unapproved modification to an SFI item. He had to drop to the rear and perform a pass-through. The rest of the story is people have gone back and looked at the television coverage from Daytona 500 qualifying, and there's nothing confirmed, but it really, really looks like Logano also had that exact same web-to-finger glove at Daytona, and it looks like he may have gotten away with one with his Daytona 500 poll. Okay. So, Tommy, what are your thoughts? I think he had to start in the back because of that glove, and um, I think that they should have let him kept his position on the front row, but he should have started the race 10 laps down from the front row. Uh, no, I was just kidding. Um, that would have just been a dream <laughs> scenario. Start on the front row, but be 10 laps down because it's showy, but um, I, I think they got it right by sending them uh, to the back and making them do a pass-through, so he was essentially like two laps down, I think, at the start of the race or something. Uh, that, you know, that's nothing for him. I mean, he was up at the front afterwards, and it didn't take him long to get there. But, I mean, I like Mike said, he got away with it at Daytona, and then they called him for it. So, you know, I'm used to all this stuff. I'm a, I am a Patriots fan, so I've had to live through Spygate and Deflategate and all this <laughs> crap. I, you're not cheating if you're trying, like Junior says. Okay, Jay. So Tommy wants to demolish Texas and wants the 22 team to be under it. I got it. Um, <laughs> no, um, when this initially, I I know, Tommy, I'm putting a lot of words in your mouth, but I think you back them up too, though. Uh, you don't hide that fact. So when I initially saw this penalty for what I viewed as a safety issue, the, the glove being the SFI, which regulates safety issues, I thought was an extreme penalty for a safety thing. Uh, that's one of those. I mean, I'm glad that NASCAR found it, was aware of it, and addressed it. But as more developed, as Mike alluded to, of it being the aerodynamic thing, and when you talk about, <laughs> normally I'd say qualifying, but even finishes of being three one-thousandths of a second, if having that hand up there is affecting it, and now you have the web glove, which blocks even more, and you're talking three one-thousandths of a second being the difference between three, four positions, 
yeah, I understand why the penalty, what it was, and we'll have to wait and see if there's more coming. Uh, I think Mike put it on the, the chat when he posted it. Normally, if NASCAR catches something like that and penalizes you in the race, in this case, the uh, losing your starting position, going to the rear, and the pass-through, that's normally the end of it. It'll be interesting to see if anything more comes of it. But I fully understand now why the penalty was what it was when you're talking about the aerodynamic advantage they were trying to get, even if it is only thousands of a second. Well, and the fact that he did it twice. Andy, what what are your thoughts? I mean, I'll um, I'll give the team credit for trying, I guess, but ultimately they got caught, and I think the penalty was fair. Um, you know, obviously they had to start at the back and then do a pass-through penalty, so, I mean, they certainly paid the price for it. Um, we see it all the time. It's been like this for decades. It's going to continue to be like this for decades. Teams are always going to try to find any little – a uh, small detail to gain a competitive advantage. And I guess that's what they were trying to do here in qualifying. So uh, they got caught and, you know, I guess the message has been sent to the garage to, to not do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everybody. I think the penalty uh, is appropriate for the uh, situation. He got by with it at Daytona, uh, did it again. And we don't know if he got other races. So uh, I think it's uh, uh, appropriate that they did what they did. Um, and I know everybody's going to try to do something, uh, but eventually NASCAR's going to find it and they're going to penalize you for it. So if you're going to do it, you got to pay the price. And that's what happened with Logano. Mike? You know, it'd be interesting to see. Obviously, these teams figure that it's going to give them an advantage. If they didn't, they wouldn't even try it. But it'd be interesting to see, like, if perfectly executed, what kind of a difference does a webbing between the index finger and the thumb on your glove with your hand out the window, what kind of a difference does that really make? But then, like Jay said, when you're talking about a margin of victory of three one-thousandths of a second, and qualifying is regularly decided by that margin, or sometimes even less than that. So, you know, I guess uh, – I guess if that happens uh, and it makes that big of a difference, then that, that gives teams incentives to try it. Then again, I'm kind of along the lines with Kevin Harvick. During Daytona 500 pole qualifying, Kevin Harvick said basically to the extent of he never messed with the hand out the window thing because he felt like his likelihood of making an error with one hand on the wheel and one hand out the window, his likelihood of making an error was much higher and likely to be more costly than anything he could possibly gain from having his hand out the window. So definitely two different schools of thought there. Uh, but it, it seems like it's the trend because Logano is not the only guy who's putting his hand out the window, that's for sure. He is, only, he is just the guy who got caught with the, the cheated-up glove. So I'm, I'm sure there's other games being played. I wouldn't be surprised if Logano was the guy who got caught and there were several other guys wiping their forehead because they didn't get caught. But there's games getting played every weekend, and apparently this was this one's game. I think that was the right penalty to drop him to the back. As far as what they may do this week, it seems like historically NASCAR, if they get you during the race and they're able to penalize you the weekend of, they generally don't add on an additional penalty. But with the potential of him having used that glove at the Daytona 500 and not being penalized, 
I could potentially see NASCAR stepping in. Uh, then again, they are pretty hesitant to go back with retroactive penalties for stuff that they previously did not penalize, but then came to their attention. Sure, one way or the other, but usually the penalty report comes out late Tuesday or Wednesday. So we'll probably know by the time we do the show on Thursday when we can talk about it then. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Oh, no, I'm sorry, Tommy. Tommy, for follow-up. I don't really have much to add. Uh, I will say I was kind of thinking like Mike a little bit. Um, is it really that big of an advantage to stick your hand out the window? Um, because of what Harvick said, that is a good point. But, you know, nothing much to add here. Like I said, I think the penalty would have been better if they would have let him kept his position on front row but been 10 laps down just to make it sting. <laughs> All right, Jay. Well, when it comes to that, as Kevin Harvick pointed out, it's risk versus reward. And I was glad you went to Tommy first, although he didn't give me a whole lot of time. I wanted to verify my knowledge. To me, it's it's kind of the placebo effect. I wanted to make sure I was using that correctly. If you think it's giving you something, then by all means, you're, you're going to do it. If, it. if it's a confidence boost or whatever, and it's not just one. It's monkey see, monkey do, because we saw several of them that were doing it. Now, as Kevin Harvick said, he didn't feel it was worth that to then take his hand off the steering wheel, and I can't argue with that. Of I can't control my vehicle at 70 miles an hour, let alone 190, so I wouldn't be doing it. But then again, I'd have a cigarette in one hand, so um, go back to the Dick Trickle days. It's one of those, though, as you mentioned, of in this day and age, you're talking of trying to gain thousands or hundred thousandths of a second you're not looking to gain x number of horsepower or 10 miles an hour like they used to back in the day you're talking about these just minute little things that any advantage you can get um you know we've seen in in the past history of tape on the spoiler just that little bit a dent in the side fender where tire changers were hip checking the car to put a dent in the fender because they felt it was giving them that advantage any little tiny thing because that can make a huge difference in this day and age of close racing. The last thing I want to say though is in this day and age, you're going to get caught. I talk about the in-car cams, whatever. And back in the day, it used to be if you saw somebody doing something like that, you just start doing it too. So you were competitive with them right now. You got somebody in the garage going, Hey, look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Get them, get them. (laughs) So it's not like it used to be. Andy, your follow-up? Uh, I don't really have any follow-up for this one. Yeah, I don't either. I was going to take a drink of water there while you were doing that, and then you uh, ended it very quickly. But I don't really have any follow-up either. Mike, we'll let you wrap it up. Well, really nothing to wrap up here. It's definitely uh, to be determined to see whether we hear anything on Wednesday about it or not. I could see it going either way, so we'll, we'll definitely pay attention to it. And if there's anything to talk about, I'm sure either me or uh, I'm, uh, Tommy's always glad to jump on Logano and dance on his grave. So if anything comes up, I'm sure Tommy wouldn't, uh, wouldn't let it slide by us. <laughs> no way. Okay, Tommy, speaking of you, you're up for the next hot topic. All right, uh, let's see here. Let's go with let's go with uh, Honda coming to NASCAR. 
Okay. Uh, Jay, you're first up there. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy Wood picked that one. I know I posted that a little while back. Uh, this is one of those, it seems like every year, get our hopes up. There's a lot of talk and rumor and encouragement about another manufacturer. And, and Tommy's with me on this one. For multiple years, it's always been Dodge. Uh, but now Honda seems to be the one that, again, based on reports, seems to be relatively close to committing. Um, I got no problem with it. I'm, I'm all for the, the competition. Uh, we talk about you know, different teams of being the top team for a manufacturer. Hendrick Motorsports, top for Chevy. Joe Gibbs Racing, top for Toyota. Uh, Ford's a little bit tougher to determine. Um, but so a fourth manufacturer means there'd be a fourth top team for that manufacturer, uh, whoever it be when they first come in. They're the only one, obviously, they're at the top. But I think that helps divide up the parity and competition. So I'm all for it. I'd Andy? rather it be Dodge, though. <laughs> Andy? Yeah, you know, yeah. I would like to, to think that um, Honda coming to NASCAR is a very real possibility. I hope so, anyway. I think that the more manufacturers you have, the better. And I think that's the consensus from the three existing manufacturers is that they would welcome Honda or another manufacturer in with open arms. And certainly I think NASCAR is pushing for a fourth OEM. So um, I think it would be a really good thing. Let's hope it comes to fruition. It seems as if the talks are fairly serious, but, you know, to Jay's point, you know, it's hard to get too excited about it because until it's made official, things can fall through and not happen. And, you know, we, obviously we've been teased with Dodge for quite some time, and I would love to see Dodge come back, but that doesn't seem to be something that's come to fruition. So um, I think Honda coming in would be good. They have a big presence in motorsports um, as it is between IMSA and, and IndyCar. So um, I certainly think that, you know, they have a, a bunch of existing motorsports knowledge where they would be able to figure NASCAR out pretty quickly. So I hope they do. I, I, it would be cool to see which teams would align with them or if they would bring in completely new team ownership, who knows. Um, but it would be exciting and fun to see, you know, if that does happen. Mike? I was fumbling with my mute button. I kind of expected you to go there after Andy. Anyway, um, Honda coming to NASCAR, I'm in agreement. I, I would love to see it. At the same time, I'm firmly in I'll believe it when I see it territory. Like you guys have all said, for years and years and years, we've been teased with a new manufacturer coming into NASCAR, uh, whether that be a return of Dodge or the addition of an, o, uh, an OEM that we haven't had yet. Uh, Honda's the latest name in there. We've also heard some European manufacturers, BMW, Volkswagen, kicked around as potential new OEMs entering the sport. But none of it has come to fruition. And until I see cars out there with the Honda logo on them, I'm not going to believe Honda's coming either. Uh, as much as I'd like to see it, history has said that that's probably not in the, in the cards, or at least not in the immediate likelihood, uh, and maybe not even in the not-so-immediate likelihood. Uh, with the, the the uncertainty with the economy right now and the expense of getting into uh, getting into NASCAR racing, remember a few years ago Honda said that if big if they were to get into NASCAR Cup Series racing, 
it would mean that they would need to divest their operation from every other motorsport that they currently IMSA, that means IndyCar, that means uh, motorcycle racing, everything else that Honda does, they said that they would need to get out of that if they wanted to go NASCAR Cup Series racing because of how expensive NASCAR is. Whether they want to make that leap or not, I don't know, but that is a huge leap for them to make. So we'll pay attention to it. I'll keep my fingers crossed, but I'm not going to keep them crossed too tightly. Uh, it'd be great to have Honda come in here, but I don't think we're going to see more than the three manufacturers we have right now anytime soon. Yeah, it might be wishful thinking on my part, but I do think that every year we get a little bit closer. Uh, but you're right. This is something we've been talking about for years and years and years, and uh, we have yet to see it. Uh, Dodge has been out for a long time now. Um, so, really, we'll let time tell the rest of the story. That's all we can do at this point because uh, we nothing's really uh, in stone yet. So, Tommy, what are your thoughts? I feel like this time wasn't the tweet about Honda coming to NASCAR like an Adam Stern tweet, or I don't remember who it was, but I feel like it was actually a more credible yeah, right. tweet. And I, I know it's just a, um, you know, they're thinking about it type deal, but um, my questions would be who would be the team that would uh, switch to Honda first? And I've got one that comes to mind, Stuart Haas. Um, they haven't had a good past couple years, and – I remember when weren't they the team that like switched to Ford or I don't remember, but I feel like there was a team that came in, or I know what it was now. Ray Everham was like the first one to go to Dodge, and I feel like Bill Elliott and Jeremy Mayfield um, and Casey Kane they had, you know, they did pretty good those first couple years when they switched over to Dodge. So Stuart Haas could definitely use the switch to Honda if they come to the sport. Um, I would like to see the return of Dodge, but, you know, we'd have Chevy versus Ford and Honda versus Toyota out there on the track. So, and then my other question would be, you know, who would they come to it? Well, if Stuart Haas switches to Honda in the cup series, then obviously in the Xfinity series, they would be a Honda team. But uh, what about the trucks, you know, would trucks and Xfinity have Honda, you know, a lot of, questions there for sure. Okay. Uh, Jay, you have a follow-up? Yeah, I got a follow-up to uh, to both Tommy and Mike. Yeah, Tommy, you were right. Uh, Stuart Haas uh, Racing was, when they switched to Ford, they kind of left as the third Chevrolet team because they were under Hendrick and RCR at the time and became the top Ford team. I don't know if you could say that anymore based on the Penske um, power right now, as well as the resurgence of RFK. So that would be a good thought process uh, opportunity for them. But also the rumor kind of was the possibility of if Dodge came back because the drag racing team has ties to Dodge when it comes to Tony Stewart. So there was kind of that connection too. And normally I would get on Mike about being more positive and having faith, but in this case, I can't argue with him. So I'm going to make some false, purely speculative breaking news of the money team comes in as a Honda team and wins the championship. I can't even finish that sentence. (laughs) 
Okay. Uh, Andy, your follow-up. You guys are looking at this all wrong. Stuart Haas Racing either needs to completely fold or sell to Dale Jr. and go back to Chevrolet. <laughs> I like that thinking. Mike? I can see uh, I can see Jay's hypothetical scenario happening, but he's clearly on, on the wrong track as far as what team it is. I got the text messages to prove that NY Racing stiffed Greg Biffle specifically so they could save money in order to come in with their new Honda program. And NY <laughs> Racing will be our new Honda team in the NASCAR Cup Series. Take it to the bank because, I mean, if I say it, you know it's true. <laughs> okay. I don't have anything to add here. Tommy, we'll let you have the last word. Oh, Tommy's not here. Tommy called dropped. So we lost Tommy. Um, so, Jay, you get to pick the next topic. <clears throat> well, that's that's too bad. Uh, I was kind of hoping to hear Tommy's on this because he actually picked him for the truck series uh, this weekend, and he may be in a bit of a setback as the Lane Riggs truck. Uh, Sharon and I talked about this a little bit during our review. Um, apparently, you have to have a roof to finish the race. Uh, the one thing I look back on when it talks about the penalty, it wasn't necessarily the, the roof, but the windshield brace fasteners not being tight. And we saw that with uh, Stuart Haas racing last year and questioned why that would even be a penalty, what the big deal was. We saw it with the truck series this weekend. Okay, Andy? Yeah, so they, I think that he was DQ'd, um, so hopefully that's the only penalty they incur from this um, because that's enough of a penalty in itself. Uh, but, man, what a tough start to the year for him. You know, that's someone I'm certainly pulling for to do well. Um, you know, Daytona was a DNF, and then obviously the DQ in Atlanta, so a pretty rough start to the year for that team. Hopefully uh, they can get back on track and, and just put together a complete race this weekend at Vegas. Okay, Mike. <clears throat> there was some weirdness going on with the heat trucks this weekend with the uh, with regard to the roof line. Um, I'm not sure how if, if people were playing with the images or whatnot, but I saw several pictures posted on X where uh, there were trucks that had deformed roofs and windshields, kind of similar to what we saw Zane Smith's truck at Homestead last year. Um, very very similar looking. I haven't heard anything out of post race tech though regarding it. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the images were manipulated or what. Obviously, Lane Reeves had a significant windshield issue if it was enough to, to DQ the car. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the 41 completely losing the, the roof on the racetrack uh, causes issues for everyone else as well. So I don't know if it's somebody playing games with uh, – and, and monkey see, monkey do. Everyone's playing the same game with the, with the structure of the truck uh, with regard to the windshield and how it's mounted or if it's bad parts from a supplier or what. Um, but I, I think this is probably going to be a focus area for NASCAR over the next few truck series races as they try and figure out what is exactly going on with these trucks, if there is anything going on in the first place. Yeah, as they said that they were going to take the uh, 41 car uh, that lost most of this uh, roof that was going to go back to the R&D center. Um, and I'm sure they're looking at Lane Riggs' uh, truck as well. Uh, but, yeah, it did seem like there was something going on. And didn't 
I thought I remember them saying something about somebody else looked like they were very loose. Uh, I, I don't know if it came off, but they, they uh, kind of, I forget who it was now, but it seemed like they pointed out somebody else uh, that looked like they could lose it very quickly. Um, so NASCAR's got their work cut out for them. They're going to have to uh, take a look at it and see what's going on. If it's, uh, It could be any number of things. So uh, we've got a lot to look forward to to hear what NASCAR has to say this week when it comes to uh, some of these penalties. Uh, Jay, what is your thought? Well, obviously it needs to be addressed. Uh, that was a huge uh, situation, especially when you're talking about at a super speedway. If you watched the mm-hmm. race, you saw it fly. And I'm trying to remember whose picture they showed of who it landed on. And that's not even counting of going over the fence into the stands for fans. The truck at that point, again, aerodynamically has some issues. If it were to have spun out or something, that's going to affect how that truck handles and the safety it provides. I disagree with Andy. I think there are going to be some more penalties coming with this because, and I just think back to last year with uh, Kevin Harvick's team, if I remember correctly, it being the number four of that, that is one of a manipulation of a part, which is one of the, I don't know if they call it the standardized parts, but messing with something like that, talk about the wheels and the lug nuts, even if it comes off and you during the race, you obviously suffer the penalty of not having a tire, which causes problems, but there is further penalties down the line based on the fact that it did happen. Um, so I, th- I think there's going to be some more penalties with that. We will have to wait until midweek when we get the penalty report with it, though. Andy, your follow-up? Uh, no real follow-up to this one. Mike? Well, it's kind of interesting because there weren't a lot of penalties issued at the racetrack regarding the structures and issues that they had with the roofs. It makes me wonder if there's something wrong with the design uh, and NASCAR isn't going to penalize these teams because the trucks were built and presented to tech in accordance with the rule book. And if that's the case, well, it'd be kind of unfair to penalize the team to complied with the rule book, brought the truck to the racetrack like the rule book said they had to, and then for whatever reason, the structure wasn't enough to hold up to the whatever forces were applied to it during the race. Now, this is just speculation on my part. I don't know anything about whether or not there were rule violations or if there were not rule violations but still mechanical problems. I'm not sure about that. Like I said, just, just speculating there. It's going to be interesting to see how this pans out here, but I think this is going to be something NASCAR is going to have to chase down, um, especially before the trucks go to Talladega or uh, and back to Daytona. Um, because that's, that's a huge aerodynamic load there on the roof. And forget about the competitive advantage. Like we said, it's also a big safety issue when you got big chunks coming off the truck like that. Definitely a safety issue. So I'm glad NASCAR is looking into it. And uh, like I say, we'll wait and see what they have to say. Jay, you can wrap it up there. Well, this is one of those where Larry McReynolds talks about whether or not there's intent there. We've seen it in the past where teams get through tech because if you're just pushing the car through tech, uh, obviously you're not at speed. They have parts that are designed, and I'm not saying the team did design it this way, so don't get me wrong there. We'll have to wait and see um, what comes down, what the team has to say. But 
it's happened in the past where that part doesn't fail or not meet specs until it's under race conditions, the air pressure, whatever designs it to give. Uh, you talk about the windshields back when they were manipulating the rear brace and those windshields. It wasn't until they were in race conditions that you see this, that that brace would give and allow the back windshield to manipulate and bow inward or whatever. So I think that's where, and I'm going back to, to the SHR one from last year of, it was the nut was on there, but it wasn't glued on there or secured the way it was supposed to. So again, in tech, you don't necessarily see that it's not. Once you come back through after the race and it's loosened itself up is when they catch it. So there again, if that is the intent that they're designing it um, to do so under race conditions or under pressure, whether it be air pressure or just the rattling of, a, of the cage, <laughs> rattling of the cage, um, something that's causing it to work its way out during a race and under conditions, then again, whether they did it intentionally or not, you know, Larry Mack likes to point out, you can't judge based on a tent. It did it. Your job is to make sure it doesn't do it. Okay. Uh, we're coming up at the top of the hour. I don't think we can get another one in. So why don't we go ahead and do our round table and uh, Andy, we'll start with you. Okay, um, CB14 fan on uh, X, and uh, as always, good to be on the show. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll see if we're back for Thursday. Okay, we always appreciate having you, Andy. Mike. Mike underscore Orzel on X. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Good to be back here. Um, TBD about Thursday. I'm on call for work, so uh, I'll let you know probably Thursday morning uh, one way or the other. Most likely I should be available, but I can't commit to you until uh, a little bit later in the week. Okay. Well, it's always good to have you. Jay? Well, uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ 8 on Twitter and Instagram. As I've already talked with Sharon, uh, right now Thursdays are not good for me. I know Brian's covering the main part of it, hopefully. I know we had a hiccup last week, but the crew comes together here to work it out. But as far as commitments, I am committed to Saturday night at your Capital City Raceway as we kick off the race season at Jackson Motor Speedway with or without the Cone Assassinator. All right. Well, have fun. Uh, and we are, we appreciate you filling in tonight and the last week as well for uh, Sal. He's had to work on the evenings uh, the last two Mondays, but he says he'll be back next week. So we'll keep an eye on that and keep you posted. Uh, I am Banff Racing site on Twitter and Banff Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including Facebook as well as the website that uh, we manage. Um, it is uh, it's been a great show. I, I enjoyed uh, working with Jay tonight. We had uh, the post, actually it was post pole qualifying interview with Jesse Love tonight, and we were able to comment on that, as well as the post-race interview with uh, Kyle Bush after winning the truck series race. So if you haven't had a chance to hear that, uh, feel free to go back and check that out on the show. Um, and then... Uh, we will be back on Thursday for our um, 
preview show, and Brian has made himself available to be the co-host until uh, Jay is available. I'll put everything up on the Teams app like I typically do, and you can let me know if you're available uh, to be here for Hot Topic Sound Up. It's always a lot of fun, and um, I can't wait to do it again. So with that, uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody again on Thursday, and uh, I hope everybody has a really great week. With that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.